Hi, I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So, it is the month of October 2021, and we are in the midst, or at least the concluding chapter, mm. of Kyle's Killer October, uh, third annual edition, that is. Uh, and the theme uh, for this year's Kyle's Killer October has been horror musicals. Uh, so it's only fitting that we close things out with yet another horror musical. And uh, this one's uh, a little weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a little weird. Uh, so so our, our, our final episode of Kyle's Killer October for this year uh, is a Polish horror musical. Uh, lowercase h on the horror. Mm-hmm. Uh, up Like lowercase musical also yeah because there are there are musical numbers diegetic and non, non-diegetic but it, it it's it's kind of like waffling back and forth between what it really wants to be but anyway uh, the film in question is a polish musical uh by the name of the lure or uh gorky Danchingu, uh from 2015 uh directed by agnieszka smoczyninska uh, I googled that shit. Kyle. I was gonna say it sounded like you googled that because I definitely wouldn't have gotten that. <laughs> oh yes, I, I did my I did my scholarly duty. I googled that shit, and uh, I'm not gonna be saying that too many times during this episode. So <laughs> yeah, no, Poland just looked at the looked at the names and like, all right, it needs more S's, more Z's, and more Y's. More. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of that's kind of my assessment of the arrangement of of the names and and the alphabet and whatnot. Uh, like the one thing that I think I got a handle on, uh, largely through the viewing of this film, uh, and this is a fun experiment. Like I, I really enjoy languages. It's just something that's a lot of fun for me because whenever you're exposed for an extended period of time to a language that's unfamiliar to you, you find yourself just like grasping at at whatever you have that you can hold on to. Where it's like I don't actually understand any of this, but my my brain is trying its best to make sense of it. So you start comparing it to things that you think it sounds like even if that's not at all true but like the one thing i think i got out of it was that i think c's in polish have a chi like a chi sound oh uh, associated with them and that's that's like the one thing i'm I'm almost certain of after having watched like a two-hour film in polish (laughs) i actually go to school with the polish guy i should have asked him how to pronounce this name he could have definitely filled me in I also well, I mean, to... he he may have supplied the audio clip that I listened to on Google. <laughs> it's very possible. <laughs> uh, so, Kyle, uh, how about you tell the folks at home uh, why it is we uh, we picked this film and how it is you came about it? Well, uh, as you know, I'm a, a Criterion Collection blind buyer, uh, and this is one that I blind bought after reading the description because it sounded interesting. It's like, this is a Polish horror movie. I'm like, okay, you have my attention. About two mermaids that come to land, and they end up eating people. And I'm like, okay, that sounds awesome. Oh, and they sing. I'm like, well, that's that's an interesting thing to throw on there as well. I'm like, okay. Well, it makes sense. Sirens, mermaids, you know, they're, they're supposed to sing. That's what pulls you, like pulls the sailors into the water. I'm like, that's a really interesting idea for a horror movie. Uh, but the description is actually better than what we get on the screen. Um, this is a strange film, even for a Criterion. <laughs> there are plenty of strange films in the Criterion collection, but this one is just... Like I was, I was explaining to Trevor before we uh, before we started recording. It's like 
there are just certain movies in the Criterion Collection that are engaging, but you just don't really get much out of. And this is one of those movies for me. Yeah, I I tend to agree. Um, I I feel like this movie's very well shot for sure, and mm-hmm. aspects of it feel very personal to the filmmaker. Um, but it it's 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 not incoherent. It's it's not very cohesive. Yeah, it, it feels like th- there's not very much connective tissue between a lot of the scenes and the. Th- and in terms of themes, it's like I, I'd be hard-pressed to identify some of them, honestly. Um, it's a collection of ideas and some well, really well-executed sequences, for sure, but it doesn't really jive very well. It's not very consistent in how it's, how it's presented to you. But um, I just wanted to read real quick uh, uh, a couple of reviews, just like pull quotes from some reviews that you can find on the Wikipedia page uh, okay. for the film. Uh so one of them describes the film as the best goth musical about man-eating mermaids ever made, um, which is a, is a factual statement. <laughs> it's 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 made like jokingly, but it it's true, and that's probably the novelty factor. I think is a huge part of why people would be interested in checking out the film and potentially how it ended up in the Criterion Collection. But um, yeah, I I walked away from the movie not not entirely satisfied with the experience um at the very least it is shot well and you know whenever there is music it's not half bad it's Mm -hmm. definitely foreign like like it's definitely not something my ear is accustomed to digesting um but there's some there's actually some fun tunes in here that Mm -hmm. i I actually uh took it upon myself to listen to uh, the soundtrack for the film in isolation and uh Kyle, I was I was really surprised. Um, the like the the mastering, like the presentation of the songs on the soundtrack is radically different from what's in the finished film. Hmm. Um, it's a lot more pleasant uh, in the soundtrack version. Like it's it's like there's some toe tapping songs in there that you can just kind of have fun with the melodies and whatnot. But s- some of the stylistic choices in the presentation in the film, it's like ugh. I really wish they had gone with the one that's on the soundtrack. Honestly, yeah, yeah. I didn't. I didn't listen to the soundtrack. Yeah, I I just looked it up on the YouTube. I don't think it was the entire soundtrack, but it's just a it's a selection of songs, most notably, uh, like the uh, the surgery song, uh, the like the the full on musical sequence they do when they go into the city. Um, that's that's probably the most fun song on the score for sure. It has a very like. I don't know, eighties pop vibe to it, like borderline like Tiffany <laughs> like mm. I think we're alone now kind of stuff. Um, but better than that. I didn't um, know what but... Tiffany song you were talking about. <laughs> thanks thanks for clearing that up. <laughs> no, I was talking about what, Robin Sparkles or whatever. Yeah. Let's go to the mall. Yeah. <laughs> She's actually um, in the music video for one of the songs on there. Uh Tiffany <laughs> is. Which is kinda of funny. That's fun. I didn't know that, but that's that's fun. But um, the biggest change on the soundtrack, though, is uh, you know the one song they do when they're in their their Euro- Eurovision outfits with like the the scale, like the padded scale coats and like the the black makeup lines drawn across their eyes. Oh, the really chaotic one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That that song on the soundtrack is like way more melodic and and just sweet sounding because like the the version of it that's in the movie is is fucking rough yeah it's it's aggressive like it's aggro um and it suits the the visual element uh that that plays out in that in that sequence in the film but like when i when it came up on the soundtrack i was like 
oh wow this is much nicer to listen to <laughs> like i'm if i'm being totally honest well i'm gonna download um, the soundtrack so i can listen to it later yeah maybe give it a listen because i i did think it was a, a nice listen and again i don't know anything about polish like i i I I just had like some loose memories of the subtitles from the film to like guide me through like the general vibe of each of the songs, but there are some like sincerely nice melodies in there that I I actually did kind of enjoy, uh, separate from the film, and indeed I I did kind of carry them away from the film. Like I did catch myself instantly recognizing like which song on the soundtrack was was from which sequence. Which is, you know, a sign of recognition, the fact that I, I did manage to remember a little something from the movie, um, which you can't say for every musical number you've ever heard in a film. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, the reason I say that the film feels very personal uh, to the filmmaker in particular um, is that apparently it is. Uh, this was something I was telling Kyle before we started recording, that uh, I, I didn't do any research going into the film not not until like this morning but uh, apparently there are some autobiographical elements uh, from the director uh, miss uh, smochininska uh, she says here again to quote the wikipedia article a source of true information obviously a uh, first shot of vodka first cigarette first sexual disappointment and first important feeling for a boy are uh, are ideas that she was carrying into the into the, like the writing and the production of the film and uh, there are numerous episodes uh, that touch on those subjects throughout the film but um, I, I think you told me before I started watching like this was like the one detail I had that uh, Hans Christian Andersen's uh, The Little Mermaid was kind of referenced in in the film to some degree I suppose I read that I think on IMDb it's a kind of kind of in here um, they do have a character who's supposed to be Triton, from what I understand, but he doesn't really do anything. I thought he was actually going to like play a part in the movie, but he doesn't. Uh, but yeah, apparently there is some some odes to uh, the Little Mermaid, the the book. Um, but yeah, I'll, we're not really we're not going to go through this movie really. I'm just going to give kind of the just a, a quick summary of the plot, just so people know what it's about. Um, two mermaids come up uh, from the water in Poland. I guess Poland has mermaids. Um, come up out of the water and they see a band on the beach. They're about to attack them, but they stop because the lady screams. They end up working f uh, with this uh, band in a nightclub and just, I guess, budding sexuality and literally fish out of water story kind of unfolds. And that's kind of it. Uh, not really much to it. Yeah, I, I feel like this is one of those art projects that um, you, you you encounter this phenomenon a lot in the in the art world where the thing doesn't carry much meaning unless you read the little plaque that's next to the piece. Mm -hmm. Like I, I it's it's not something I say I hate or anything. It's just a funny thing to me that it's like so you mean just if I look at this thing and just give it a like a. a a purely visual assessment i can't possibly know what you're alluding to like it, part of me wants to say it's like well maybe try harder <laughs> or like or like get it get it more right so that your message is more more crystal clear it feels like it could almost be a film school project where it's like how do you how do you bring up themes on the screen it's just like how do you represent this uh like show don't tell and I think that they do a good job of setting up themes, like we, like I said, budding womanhood, 
uh, yeah, puberty, uh, just going in, like becoming an adult, uh, fish out of water, like going into a new, a new world and kind of embracing that culture, uh, sexuality in, ge- in general, um, aging. There's all kinds of different themes and you can kind of see them on the screen through the characters, but we don't explore any single one of them. They're all just like, this is, they just put it on the screen real quick. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was alluding to when I said the film didn't feel very cohesive. Is mm-hmm. that there are, are a lot of ideas here. Like the movie is not short for creativity at all. And and what's more, like they're not effects are are used sparingly throughout the film, but virtually all of them are well executed. Um and the cinematography is on point on top of that. Editing yeah. too. Like and obviously the music's good too. So like this is not a lazy effort. It just kind of feels like we're throwing a lot of shit against the wall and not a whole lot of it sticking. Um, and all the uh, all the actors except for the little skinny little skinny dude, the bassist, uh, <laughs> everybody has presence. Um, spe- I actually was really drawn to the the woman, the 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 main woman singer before the mermaids get there. I don't know what it is. She looks like somebody I know in my in real life, but I don't know who it is. Like I was just really drawn to her for some reason. Okay, so I I do this thing, and this happens a lot with foreign films for me. Um, this, this happens because, again, when you're embracing something entirely foreign to you, you, you kind of grasp it at straws. You grasp it at whatever you can possibly hold on to. So you start making connections and revolutions that uh, maybe aren't entirely warranted, but you're, you're, trying, you're trying to ground yourself in the experience. So you just work with what you got. So me having no familiarity with the Polish language or culture for the most part... Um, I I found myself looking at her and thinking of Julia Louis Dreyfus, um, just with blonde, uh, shaggy hair, the eyes um, and the nose, yeah, the no. eyes and the nose, the eyes yeah. and the nose. Yeah. I, 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 I there were certain angles where I was like, oh, it's Elaine, <laughs> so, and then on top of that, uh, the the lady cop uh, who shows up mm-hmm. about like two thirds of the way in, um, when she's in the nightclub during that chaotic uh, musical number. Uh, she's like cast in heavy shadows and 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 green light so like her features look kind of alien you don't really get a good look at her until the next scene but during that sequence in the nightclub i thought she looked like katherine keener like again eyes and nose Uh, but this is just me like projecting whatever familiar things i can uh, onto the screen to just like ground myself in the experience but um i was uh i was calling uh the the guitarist, uh, the guy you said didn't have as much uh, presence. I was mm-hmm. calling him a uh, at like Prince Prince Adam from Eternia. <laughs> he he had like a He Man vibe to him, but like not when He Man's in like He Man mode, but like when he's still in like his court outfit and stuff. Am I dating myself, Kyle? <laughs> I have no. You you completely. Lie. I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, I just made a very dated nerdy reference. It's no okay. big deal. It did you didn't hurt my pride. <laughs> um. Uh. But yeah, from a performance standpoint, I, I think I agree with you. Everybody's pretty game here, mm-hmm. especially when you consider some of the territory we're exploring with like the makeup effects and the and the storytelling. It's like we're we're going to some weird places. Yeah, and every, everybody seems to be on board with whatever the filmmaker's vision may be. Uh, unfortunately, they they played it pretty close to the vest, so I'm not entirely certain what she was going for. But what's important is that the actors seem to get what she was aiming for. Um, and it's there's there is something to be said for like the 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 gag that carries on throughout the entirety of the film where we have this thing in the form of these two mermaids with siren song powers uh, that 
everybody regards as just like oh i've seen that shit like, yeah like this this doesn't impress me whatsoever <laughs> like there is something to be said for like some of the strangeness and the humor that comes from all the the strange circumstances that these characters are thrust into like when we first meet the mermaids on land like there's an uncomfortable atmosphere in the room because we the viewer are just like i i what i don't know what's going to happen here this doesn't look good but then by the time the scene plays out it's like oh they may as well not have had tails or scales or anything <laughs> like like that and and then the photo shoot later on as well like the photographers treating them just like they would do any other model and and the nightclub sequence when they first reveal their true selves to the crowd like nobody reacts with anything but applause yeah like no nobody remarks about how strange it is that there's a couple of, you know young gals in a in a like a goblet shaped pool in the middle of the stage that sprouted eel tails and <laughs> it's like ah eh, i've seen that shit not a big deal <laughs> Now we even have a, a like a, a punk rock uh, merman that uh, has like divots carved into his skull because apparently he tore his horns out. Yeah, and he seems to have found a home for himself. He fits in just fine in in the community. Ma'am, this this is supposed to take place in the 1980s, so I don't know if like scarification was as big as uh, uh, quote big uh, <laughs> as it is today. But the point is like these these otherworldly characters are regarded as just like everyday folk um maybe slightly exceptional but but them having fishtails is not a big deal to the the core cast in the film yeah um i guess you want to talk about the dynamic of the two mermaids a little bit just like their different stories um one looks like one of the jenners i don't know which one uh i don't know how many there are uh yeah one <laughs> looks like one of the jenners the other one uh looks like she's polish <laughs> she the, the other one i'm like yeah she looks she looks european um so one is like kind of a dick uh doesn't seem like she really wants to be on land and she mentioned something about wanting to go to america it's like she i don't know why they came to land but she doesn't really want to do it but the other one does and the other one is kind of into the bassist and that's that's her arc is her kind of exploring her human side but there's i guess some rules it's like if she gets married to him and he likes somebody else, then she'll turn to foam. It's it's very strange. And I don't know if that's from the book, maybe. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, I, I did five minutes of research um, before we started recording. And yes, that is taken from the Hans Christian Andersen uh, story of The Little Mermaid. Uh, the idea of if, uh, if the person they fall in love with marries someone other than them, they turn into sea foam. Uh, that is directly lifted from, from the book. Um, and yeah, uh, we have uh, Golden and Silver are the two mermaids. Uh, Golden is the one with dark hair. Silver is the one with lighter colored hair. Kind of goofy. but <laughs> And there is a funny bit, actually, where somebody confronts Golden on the stairwell and mistakenly calls her Silver. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it, threw, it threw me off. I'm like, shit, I've got him written down wrong on my notes. I'm like, oh, no, no, she called him, he called her the wrong name. No, and her reaction is appropriate. She's like, <laughs> like bitch, don't you know my name? <laughs> it's it's like, not my name. I've been, perf I've been performing how long? <laughs> it's like, but, um, yeah, uh, Silver, the one with the lighter hair, she, uh, she kind of follows the arc of the Little Mermaid character from the book, whereas Golden, I don't entirely know what her arc is, um, but the, the main distinction between the two is, like Kyle had said, Silver is interested in the bassist from from the nightclub band that uh the night the nightclub band like kind of adopt the mermaids uh in the opening sequence of the film um and then they 
they actually actively join the band as backup singers and then lead singers because they have like the most powerful vocals in in existence or something they have the siren song power um but silver is interested in the bassist and also wants to essentially transition into like just a straight up normie like a straight up just normal human girl um so she wants to abandon her mermaidness in favor of staying with this dude um whereas golden uh it's through her that it's revealed that uh they have like a, a a hunger for human flesh um and the two of them uh they communicate with like dolphin speak or like whale speech yeah um it's like tele it's like telepathy but it's represented in the film by like whale or dolphin noises telepathy and, yeah I would, telepathy uh, I, I always read it as telepathy but I, if i say it out loud like it's tele yeah yeah <laughs> telepathy telepathy depacketations yeah. <laughs> um but golden uh through her conversations with her sister kind of uh makes allusions to the idea of like oh he's cute are you gonna eat him and she does that numerous times early on in the film and, and at some point her uh her hunger gets the better of her and she actually just straight up eats a couple people um silver seems to only indulge that when she's pissed off um so I, it's it's one of those murky concepts that it's there. That's like, wouldn't it be cool if these mermaids also ate people? But it's never hinted that they have to. It's not like a, a vampire where like they have to feed on human blood or, or just blood in general every so often. Otherwise, they die or, or they get sick or something. These mermaids seem to do just fine without it. Like, Silver doesn't really indulge in that until like the last quarter of the movie, maybe. And it's more just in a fit of rage and sorrow. Um, but yeah, I say, yeah, the uh, the first part of the movie's fine. I like some of the songs with the with the whole band, like the actual scenes where everybody's kind of like dancing and into it. Those those are fun scenes. Uh, I think the opening the opening number was a lot of fun. Like it, it kind of it kind of just brings you, like draws you in. It's like oh okay, this is kind of strange. Uh, this is definitely not America. <laughs> yeah, like you said, like this is this is definitely a foreign country. But the the um, I think like the last 20, 20 minutes of the movie, I think are actually pretty pretty good. Um, where we get, where she ends up getting, it's kind of a cool scene where she ends up getting her fish bottom cut off and she's getting just a human bottom put on. Like this is some Doctor Krieger shit. Like this is, <laughs> I don't know if this guy went to medical school kind of thing. He's not. He's a doctor, but he's not a medical doctor. Um, it's 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 interesting but it's kind of uh i really feel bad for in the movie when because she gives the uh the bassist uh a piece of her scale to use uh to play the bass and he's like yeah i'm totally for this chick but then some other hottie comes into like the recording studio and he like tosses it down the drain i was like ah it's kind of heartbroken and her her ending is kind of sad yeah uh, the their dynamic with each other i didn't care much for the bassist actor he's he's pretty plain and he doesn't really he doesn't really hit any peaks or anything like he's pretty he's tall flat. he's just tall I, i'm that, that is the the trumpest of trump cards kyle yeah <laughs> it's like he, you, you, case in point if you google any actor on the planet the next word that will follow height. that person's name yes it mm. it matters folks <laughs> like I hate to say it, but it matters. Yeah, Pete Davidson is ugly as fuck, but he's tall, so he pulls. Yeah, it matters. Yeah. I, I I'm sorry to break any hearts out there, folks. I'm not a tall man. I'm not either. 
but it matters. You're tall. You're taller than me, not by much, but you are taller. <laughs> uh, yeah, but yeah. yes, he is tall, and yes, it does work. <laughs> yeah, but um, no, he a- has so he has so little going for him. He is he's uh, he weighs like ninety goddamn pounds, and he is ugly as shit. But he's taller than her. But no, I yeah. think that she he doesn't do- even have good hair, and but- like hair ca- hair matters too. But you can you, you can really see like she's really into him and the way like the way the actress is portraying it it's just like you know she's gonna get her heart broken you're just you're waiting for it uh, and I think that just it goes to her acting I I, I felt bad for her um, and like I said her I I like that that ending with them I think I think this movie actually has a pretty good ending yeah I I mean I want to explore that for a second because they're like we get pulled away from it so frequently that it loses some of its strength but if you just isolate that story and and made a short film out of that it's good there there's some good shit there yeah because like, yes the the sequence when she's kind of tempting him to give her a smooch like like she pulls the scale off of herself and we see that it draws blood from her like mm. it hurt to do that but she gives it to him and i think she tells him you'll be the world's first four-armed bassist mm-hmm. and it's kind of implied that like her her power like her her musical power or something she's like imparting it to him via the scale that he can use as like a guitar pick or something um but he has that really nasty comment that he refers to her like you're a mermaid Mm -hmm. Uh, i think of you as an animal not a person so i can't i can't kiss you i can't love you um it isn't until she gives him that gift that she pulls him into the the bathtub with her and they they make out and then they try to have a thing together but like not not that long after after that there's that scene where she's like really aggressively smooching him and he pushes her back and he's Mm -hmm. just like no no like no we can't do that and so it's like you can tell that like you said she's she's a young girl she's really really into this frumpy looking dude yeah but he's but he's so tall yeah and he has a leather coat oh and he's in a band and he smokes he's in a band she's into everything a, a teenage girl would be into at this time yes <laughs> he's in a band he's in you a don't band understand. they're gonna uh, make I've it ma- I, i've been making that joke since like middle school he's in a but he's in a band he's in a band but yeah he he's resistant at that point and then that that surgery sequence is a knockout sequence it really is something isolated from the rest of the movie it on a technical level like the the singing has a nice sound to it i don't understand a fucking word of being what's being said i understand the emotional content of it Mm -hmm. but just the staging of it the cinematography we we have this setup where we have this crane shot of these two bodies these two female bodies in ice baths one of which is like a a bisected uh woman that we've never met um, and our our uh, silver the mermaid gal with her mermaid tail and uh, they're prepping her for surgery and what it's imparted to you just purely through visual language that oh she is going to have another gal's bottom half stapled onto her mm-hmm. and they're gonna trade <laughs> they're yeah. gonna trade bottom halves and we have this melancholy musical number from silver and this awesome crane shot it's all done in one take where it it's an overhead shot and it swoops down and it gets like right it pushes right into when they're taking the the motorized saw to her midsection and it's all in one shot and they had to build like a whole prosthetic torso like an entire prosthetic body for both actresses um and it's a knockout sequence it's really awesome and 
and just and even the lead up to it like they they have to like bribe like a a street doc basically like Mm -hmm. a street surgeon to just do this this obviously dangerous operation and i love that as soon as it's concluded like like you said dr krieger like the doctor is like just like loopy and like dancing around the the operation hall like like I think he opened a couple of those bottles you brought him. Yeah, like, I think just, he did it early too. <laughs> you, you haven't gotten to where uh, Ray gets leg gets new legs. So, oh god, because that's exactly what happens. <laughs> Pam, it, Pam's is, tell, is, Pam's. Go ahead. Is Ray the, the like the rival agent? From the no, that's Barry. That's Barry. No, Ray. He, keep, he keeps getting thrown out of windows and stuff. Oh gosh, he never goes away. He is in every season. He's great. Uh, oh, no, I, I like him. He's Ray, great. Ray isn't a huge character in the first season. He picks up a little bit more in the second season, but he really he's more prominent as the series goes on, and he's really funny. But uh, yeah, no, folks, he gets folks. He, uh, Kyle ahead. is referring to Archer. Yes, yes. Um, but yeah. It, I really wish that they would have just kind of stuck with this dynamic. Like you could have explored her, like getting it, like really falling uh, in love with this guy. Them setting out the rules, and then it, it's all gonna go wrong, obviously. But it's like it's like the Little Mermaid gone bad, which would have been kind of fun. But uh, you said this director threw a lot of her own real life experiences in there. I feel like you could still have those in there, just little nods to things you know. But it 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 detracts from the story. It takes away from the story. Like like I said, like I I didn't think of it until I I blurted it out. But like, this film is ninety two minutes long, which is not over long by any means. But I I feel like a better short film uh, could have come out of the same material uh, because there are some truly knockout sequences in here. I also like the uh, when we kind of freeze time and uh, Golden has a musical number yeah. where she's dancing around the apartment nude, uh, singing about how everybody's sad. We're all sad. She's sad. I'm sad. <laughs> but it's okay and what's more um that that song comes back at the wedding i thought that was a really nice touch where um it i think it's supposed to be implied that our our uh, our frumpy bassist guy maybe stole some of their songs uh and brought them into the recording booth because at his own wedding he's like on the guitar yeah. with his wife and he's singing that song the this everybody's sad song that we only previously heard in like a like a, a non-diegetic form uh, from, like, Golden uh, singing around the apartment. Um, but I really like this, the city uh, song number, too, when they, they go to town and, like, buy clothes and stuff. But um, there's, a, there's a thing in the wedding sequence that is, like, a, I don't know, a, a personal thing that I, I always like. It's uh, the acoustics of uh, hearing, like, a band or hearing loud music being played far away from you. Yeah. It's like it's like when you're when you're at a wedding and you take that minute to like walk away from it for a bit to like go piss or something, mm-hmm. and there's that like booming like echo. It, it's it's a really interesting sound that they they replicate it here uh, during the wedding sequence during the finale. I've been to a lot of warp tours and that's the only way I hear real big fish. I never go to watch real big fish, but they usually play. Or any times I've gone, they've played, and I'll be walking away and I'll hear beer playing by real big fish. Um, yeah, I, you, one thing that uh, I thought was kind of interesting was the the dynamic of the, I guess he's the drummer and the lead singer of the band. I guess they're married. Um, and there's a scene yeah. where he leaves her. Like he just like puts his wedding ring down and leaves her. But then they're together at the, uh, at the, or they're not together, but they're both at the wedding and they kind of just like are aware of each other's presence, but they don't address each other. 
which it was just kind of strange. I wasn't sure what that was all about. Yeah, there's a lot of things that I, I'm not entirely certain. Like I tried my best to to figure it out, but I, I'm not confident in my assessment of things. And this was one that I wanted to get your take on on the air. Was a uh, there's a sequence about poison. It's a extended sequence where our uh, our musician family unit that somehow includes the bassist. I don't I don't think he's their kid. Uh, he just lives there or something part time, but. Um, so we have our drummer, we have our singer who looks like Julia Louis-Dreyfus Louis in a wig. A little bit. Uh, a little bit, yeah. A little bit. A little bit. And then we have our bassist, and uh, they're the characters who are serenaded by the mermaids in our first shots of the film, which, by the way, you didn't get around to it, nor do I expect you ever will, uh, but it kind of reminded me of uh, one of the early shots in uh, It Chapter 2, yeah. uh, the, the new It, where basically it's a it's a camera that's kind of like half submerged in in a body of water like there's even like a bridge in the background anyway uh those musicians are the ones who are like serenaded by the mermaids and they basically are saying like help us come ashore um and then we cut to the title and then we see like oh they basically adopted them um but then there's a sequence where the drummer punches both the mermaids in the fucking nose yeah uh, because they see a news report uh suggesting that uh, golden or at least one of the mermaids had eaten someone and she did um so he's not happy about that so he slugs them both and yeah. then they roll them up in in carpets and dump them into the river <laughs> yeah they also ask about the money that was the other th that was yes. another theme is that they're kind of exploiting them and i thought that would be kind of a thing that would be talked about in the film or like a thing they would explore like ex exploiting young women like this uh more more or less than like a, a stripper kind of uh, scenario, but yeah, here they're I singing. A, I have a I have a detail about that, but before I introduce that, I just wanted to get your take on the musical number that follows them dumping them into the river because it's implied that like they killed them and dumped them in the river, and then they later come back um, and they bite off the drummer's thumb. Uh, this <laughs> is that this is the the alcohol IVs that they're getting. Like they're yes. All I thought maybe this is where I thought it was kind of a cultural thing. Like, I'm not sure if, like, alcoholism was huge in Poland at the time or if it still is, maybe. Um, I thought maybe that's what it had to It was just, like, something about the time. Like, maybe people were just, like, off the rails fucking drinking like crazy. But I'm not really See, sure. I, I, I didn't read into it from that angle at all. Um, maybe. I, was th I was theorizing that maybe... I mean, we we saw that the mermaids drew them in and kind of... It's not every day that people just adopt two young girls and then invite them to join their band. Like, it, it's never explicitly stated, but one can come to the conclusion that maybe their singing has magical properties to it and, like, hypnotic powers or yeah. something. So I was thinking maybe being deprived of their presence was harming them or something. Maybe it was kind of uh, I, the way you were saying, like people are just fine with these being mermaids. I'm like, I think that's part of their singing is just their their presence. It's like you don't really think about the oddity of it. You're just drawn to it because that's the lore is that sailors were drawn to their singing. They were mesmerized by it. So I felt like that theme was throughout the film. And yeah, that makes more sense. If you're if you're thinking about they're gone, they've gotten rid of them, now you're like coming down off of it almost. Withdrawals. Yeah, yeah withdrawals. So yeah, that kind of makes sense. I, I could see that. But yeah, I, I didn't really know how to read it at the time. 
but that I, I still don't know. That's just a guess. <laughs> yeah. Also, that lifestyle, just like service industry, working in clubs and stuff like that. That's it's just a hard life, hard lifestyle. You're just drinking and smoking like crazy. Yeah. What what kind of dashed to pieces any any theories I could have come up with was the the sequence that follows is they just go right back to work. Yeah. Like I was just I, I, they just come out of it. I was actually kind of expecting them to die, honestly. Um, but no, like we do like a hard cut to them backstage, like getting ready to go right back out to work. It's like, oh, they got over that quick. <laughs> yep. uh, but yeah, the mermaids find their way back. And um, the, the details I wanted to mention um, that once again, this is coming back to, I, I guess I, I meant to go into more detail, but that idea of a piece of art that requires you to read the plaque in order to fully digest all of its fine points is a, uh, Apparently, the the way the mermaid characters are portrayed um, is supposed to be an allusion to uh, immigrants, which makes quite a bit of sense. Like you said, exploitation of of people and bodies in particular. Yes, the the imagery and the I don't know the the placement of the mermaid characters in the story it it kind of adds up, mm-hmm. um, and the, and also the idea of people thinking of them as less than human, like as animals rather than fellow oh. human beings. But that's something I wasn't privy to prior to watching the film. Thus, I didn't carry that into the experience, and it didn't really reflect. It didn't really enhance things for me because I didn't know it. <laughs> yeah, and I think maybe uh, I think there might be a history as Polish workers being. Yeah, I think there's a bit of a history with that. It's yeah, I didn't and think about that. I didn't either because I wasn't told to. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, um, yeah. Well, I think. Well, this isn't. This isn't a movie for us, Trevor. This is a Polish movie. So if you're in Poland, you probably get the themes a little bit better. Well, I will counter that with a. Uh, and this is what I. I had that exact same thought when I finished the film, Kyle. Was I was like, I'm not entirely sure I got that. It's <laughs> definitely not made with me in mind. That's okay. Not every movie has to work for me, but... Uh, I'm a white man! <laughs> every movie has to be made for me! <laughs> on closer inspection, though, again, I didn't do any of this research until well after having watched the film. Um, if you look at the critical response to the film, again, on Wikipedia, so take it with a grain of salt, uh, apparently the reviews for the film, even in its native country, are divisive. Mm-hmm. Like people, it's not like this was a sensation in Poland and found its way into the Criterion Collection. This is a divisive film. It's not particularly well regarded. The people who like it seem to really like it, but many people think I didn't get anything out of that. Even Polish people, even Polish critics. But um, I did want to read another excerpt from a review for it. Was that um, it is described as never less than arresting and sometimes even a riot, which I would agree with. However, the same person felt the screenplay lacked ideas in portraying the mermaid's vampiric attributes, something you and I both already talked about, and was unsure of the film's 1980s setting and whether it alluded to the politics of the time. Which means, I think everything we've been saying, it rings true regardless of whether you're Polish or not, is just... It's a, it's a little bit muddled, like it, it's a little scattered, uh, which there are some isolated sequences of excellence in this film. Like Kyle had said, towards the end, like the last half hour or so, it's all gold. Like yeah. it's really, it's good. really uh, good. Yeah, the surgery sequence is fantastic. Her recovery mm-hmm. uh, when she's on the, the treadmill thing and yeah. and we have this really interesting way of introducing a musical number where she turns on the radio 
and she's trying to sing along with it but mm-hmm. in in the tradition of the little mermaid when she exchanges her her fishtail for legs uh she can't she loses her voice so we can hear her like making the noises but it doesn't get past her face um and then they have that really grisly uh attempted sexual encounter um it, basically she she gave up her tail in favor of legs and turns out her 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 plumbing don't work <laughs> like, turns turns out it didn't it didn't take i think uh i think we've kind of i think i've kind of pinpointed now why what i kind of like about this movie now is like sometimes you get um I, I guess the way to describe it is it was almost it was almost there like you almost had something great, but just n- knowing that you missed it by a little bit, having an awesome movie could still make it you appreciate the movie like like I said like the last thirty minutes of this movie are really good and it kind of upsets me that we didn't get a better movie like we could have had a better movie but I still really appreciate that last thirty minutes and I can still appreciate the movie for that. So I, I'm kind of looking back. Do you ever have that with movies where it's just like, man, they really just missed it, but there was something there. Like, there really was just something there. That's why we talk about movies, Kyle. Yeah. Because I, I think you and I had a lot less enthusiasm for it coming into this conversation. Um, but I think we can both agree that it's not without value. Like, mm-hmm. it, it absolutely does have some stellar sequences. It's just, as a whole, it's like, it could have been better. Mm-hmm. Um but I'm glad that I'm glad I watched it. Uh, it is utterly unique. It's just it's a little scattered. Like if like in particular, it almost feels like maybe we could have had one mermaid and gotten a better, more focused story or something. Because you and I were talking before we started recording about the dynamic between the two characters and how it's like it feels like there's something missing because it seems like we're hinting at conflict between the two sisters because we have one who wants to join the human world in the form of silver. And another one who wants to eat humans uh, and isn't particularly interested in getting emotionally invested in them uh, in the form of golden. And the two of them come at odds with each other, but it's resolved inside of a minute. Mm-hmm. Like they, they have like a cat fight. Cat fight. Like they, <laughs> cat fight. <laughs> cat fight. <laughs> it's like they, they have like a one minute cat fight and then they're good. It's like, oh, well, I, I was expecting that to be the story, but apparently that was resolved very quickly. They, she, the director got me to feel something. Like I actually felt for this character at the end. Like I, I really did, and that's that's Absolutely. that's hard yeah. to do. Like it, it's hard for it, it's hard to get audiences to emotionally engage in characters. That's what makes it. That's what makes really good directors is like if you can actually pull that off. Um, but I really like the like the last the last bit of it. I think it's such a good ending to the story. Is there anything else you really wanted to? Say? I kind of tapped out. I kind of just wanted to talk about this last scene, which was kind of interesting. I just have one more thing, then we can wrap okay. it up with Sorry. that last scene. Uh, well, it's not a big deal. I was just curious on getting your take on it because I didn't get anything out of it. I, but I was reaching. I was trying to find meaning out of it. The uh, the merman. So yeah. There is a there is a merman in this who Kyle. Uh, the character is named uh, Triton. Yeah. Yeah, uh, as in King Triton, I would assume. Um, there is a merman who is introduced in just like these isolated shots early on in the movie. We just cut away to some random guy with nasty head scars. Mm-hmm. And then and then we go back to business and then they keep alluding to him and it's like why is he important? I still don't know. But 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 this guy we we get a sequence where he explains himself and apparently he had horns on his forehead 
And one of them was torn out by a fisherman. The other one he said he tore out himself when he was brought on land. And now he lives among humans. And he's in like a punk rock band in Poland. And he just hangs out at bars, smokes a lot, and is in a punk band. He's not a he's not a particularly good vocalist. He's more the hype man. You need that. Mm-hmm. Um, but he he's also present at the wedding at the end of the film. And he's also... I guess he's maybe an exposition delivery system because yeah, he he is the one who introduces the idea of the sea foam and that you better you better steer clear of getting wrapped up with these human folk otherwise like if if one of them ditches you you'll you'll, you'll die basically um but then there's that concert sequence where he invites them to join his band the mermaids that is and uh silver is all wrapped up with the bassist dude so golden has an episode where she's kind of uh going out on her own so she's going out and eating people she has a a sequence with a lady cop that starts out kind of romantic they have a musical number together and then she eats her off screen Mm -hmm. it's it's a bizarre sequence that feels like there could have been some characterization or story uh there could have been more there but as it stands it's just an isolated music video basically that doesn't really contribute much to the narrative um but then golden also goes to the punk show to meet up with triton and she's like discouraged from singing and her her singing is criticized by triton she doesn't end up joining the band she's just at the show like just stuff like am am i wrong kyle like was there something you picked up on from all that i got nothing uh aside from triton being exposition that's that's all i can take from that character yeah that that's unfortunately the conclusion i arrived at was i was struggling to like figure out his reason for existing in the narrative other than a couple of lines of exposition and that that whole punk show i was just like why other than creating a more interesting soundscape for the film you know dipping into different genres that is kind of fun it gives it a different texture because you Mm -hmm. get all the you know the leather and the spikes and stuff it's it's different looking from the rest of the movie different sounding uh maybe if you take it from the maybe she does have a a thing where she says she doesn't sing without her sister maybe that's why because i thought it was a joke at the time but maybe he was being sincere when he was shitting on her singing ability where he's like you ain't you're nothing without your sister like you two have to be paired up in order to in order for the illusion to sell i don't know (laughs) i I don't know I, i i really don't know I, i'm reaching man i'm trying it's a criterion movie i tried my best <laughs> yeah i i got nothing well, let's get to the end then oh <laughs> uh, yeah so we've uh we've got a countdown basically so that the uh the bassist is married to the other chick and triton basically tells her like hey she has to eat him before sunrise or she's foam he keeps saying or she's going to turn to foam um and i guess she kind of tells her about this and you're not really sure what's going on because it's very strange the way she's reacting to this. Like she was all in on this dude, but then he ends up marrying this other chick, and she's smiling and happy for him. It, at least outwardly, like she, she seems to be happy for him. Um, and it's like the next morning, the sun's not quite up, but it's like the wee wee morning. People are still kind of drinking a little bit. <laughs> I don't know how long weddings go. Dude, on. that one guy that walks by the drummer, like that guy was just blasted <laughs> he had the look yeah he looked like he was a he was about to throw up or pass out one of the two um <laughs> at the same time maybe but yeah um she ends up like uh she ends up walking up to the bassist guy who just got married and she just kind of approaches him to dance like to have like a kind of like a goodbye dance but 
we're not sure if she's going to eat him or not. And she, uh, what's, what's their names? Golden and Silver. Yeah. So Golden's kind of like giving her the look like you have to do this. And Silver like gets her fangs out like she's about to do it. Um, but then as the sun's coming up, she just kind of turns around. I, lo- I like this. This is really neat. Like he just turns around and then he, she's just foam, like just instantly gone. I'm like, God, that really sucks. It was really heartbreaking for that for that character. Yeah, I mean, the, the actress for Silver was very well selected because she has a look of innocence mm-hmm. that you, you feel for her. And what's more, I, I don't know if they had her wearing contacts, but her eyes are like pure black. I, I'm uh, guessing those were contacts. That would be my guess. But what's striking about it is that we have these two sisters and uh, only one of them has that. Like, yeah. Golden doesn't have that. Um but giving Silver that look, like it, it makes her, it, it's almost like a looking, instead of looking alien and scary, it comes across as almost like doe-eyed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just her, her posture, like she's walking on fucking like crutches at this point. Yeah, that's and the we, other we, thing. And we saw her get sawed in half <laughs> um, <laughs> for this not so great looking dude. Again, he's tall and he's in a band. Uh, <laughs> I understand, but... Yeah, she's walking on crutches. She gave up her ability to speak. She she threw everything into this this gambit, and it didn't work out. And and to have her at the wedding still still like trying to like hope for the best for him, it just like really sells this idea that like she she is like painfully innocent uh, to the point that she basically loses her own life to it. Um, but <laughs> but then uh, things escalate uh, after he gets. Uh, the her seafoam remains on him. Uh, Golden, like, hops the rail basically. She's like, "Fuck that noise!" Fuck that, yeah. Well, I gave and, it like uh, yeah. the the less Grossman. Mm, like, yeah, she fucking got his ass. Yeah, she rips his <laughs> neck out. Uh, yeah, I like the lingering shot on the throat wound where it's yeah. like you can see the the air bubbles coming out. It's like, ooh, that's a juicy throat rip. Yeah. <laughs> that's a McGruber right there. You piece of shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Gobble, and then, gobble. Yeah. And she jumps back into the water, and I don't know, it's kind of an interesting last shot. Like, she jumps back into the water, and then we kind of get, like, just this shot of, like, a lake or, like, a river just underneath the water, and that's kind of it. It just... Yeah, and we, we linger on uh, the the middle-aged singer, the Julia Louis-Dreyfus-looking lady, mm-hmm. like, collapsed on the beach, just, like, watching... Uh, by the way, we did have a dream sequence in there where that singer was, like, cradling, like, kind of, like, like breastfeeding the yeah. two mermaid gals. So it's, like, strongly implied that she thinks of them as daughters and really enjoys having them in her life. Uh, so to see one of them tear the throat out of her kind of adopted son... <laughs> and jump headfirst into a lake that's a little traumatic yeah um but yeah the the melancholy shots of just like uh undersea plant life it, it's almost like the opening of a jaws movie um <laughs> but with emotional weight to it. it it was haunting it was kind of neat uh especially when you know the emotional weight of a uh, silver's passing is still kind of like with like fresh with you uh heading into that um but yeah, a very strong last act of the film. It's just it's all crammed into the back end. Like the opening, you're you're kind of off balance a lot of the time. There's some fun, weird stuff. Like like when we go backstage and we first meet the mermaids on land, and we see that they don't have any any uh, sexual parts to them. Mm-hmm. Like they don't even have they don't even have buttholes. 
they, they, ha- they don't have cracks. <laughs> and, it's, and again, the, the way this is presented is, is just like in a very, just like flat manner. It's like we're not over, over sexualizing the characters. It's just like, yep, we're backstage. They ain't got butt cracks. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> um, the early goings are, are like, there's, there's some fun to be had with that. Same with the musical numbers and stuff. But in terms of like narrative and characterization, it's all kind of pushed into the back end of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but thankfully, it does end strong, though. So it's like I, th- this is a film that I can say I, I, I did walk away with something, thankfully. Cause yeah. There's, noth- there's nothing worse than a, a great two-hour block of your life. It's just like I don't even know what the fuck that was. Yeah, Tarkovsky. <laughs> Sorry, dude. <laughs> you watch Stalker and come out the other side with something. I dare you. Uh, I have never subjected myself to a Tarkovsky film. I probably should just just to do it, just to say I did it. Uh, you know, we have 150 plus episodes of podcast out there about movies, and and somehow I haven't watched any good ones that whole time. <laughs> yeah. Eh. But anyway, uh, so this this was an unconventional review with good reason, because obviously Kyle and I uh, both walked away from this this one not entirely certain of how we felt about it. but i'm really glad that we kind of worked it out as we went mm-hmm. like obviously we got a pretty good conversation out of it but um this was our uh the conclusion of our musical horror reviews for uh, kyle's killer october um that was uh, the lure or a corky danchingu from 2015 directed by agnieszka smochininska Sure. Uh, I, that's the last time I'm going to say that in public. <laughs> um, but Kyle, where do we go from here? Uh, it's all, We've only been recording less than an hour. Yeah, no, that's like a record. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think we're going to switch gears, and this is going to be kind of a uh, bonus part of this episode. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll say, at least give some kind of spoilers. Like This is also, we're going to talk about uh, Halloween Kills from 2021. Uh, directed by David Gordon Green, and this movie can suck my ass. Fuck. I'm so <laughs> pissed at this movie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was it is, uh, it is Miller time. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, hey, yeah, assholes, this, this... more assholes for your suck fest. Yeah, this is... Oh, that's that, that actor was in the, the he did that in Reno 911. He's the dad in uh, Halloween 2018. Uh, oh the the wizard yeah <laughs> he's the wizard and nobody beats him <laughs> yeah. um yeah, yeah. A, a seinfeld alum uh just like everybody else from a certain age but yeah, uh, yeah uh, halloween kills can indeed suck my dick it's uh, so bad dude it's getting it's, people are talking about it's the greatest people are giving it they're hyping it up really big are they watching it or do they even know did they watch the movie uh I hope so, because that's that's not a good way to do your uh, quote journalism. But um, yeah, I I don't know why anybody or how anybody could could enjoy or or love this movie. I, I, I take that back. I I think I have a theory that they they tossed out all the lessons that they they should have learned from the 2018 film uh, in the making of Halloween Kills in favor of pandering. Um, only problem is they're they're pandering to like the hardcore audience but it's only it's only a subsect of the hardcore audience and if you ask me it doesn't it doesn't sit well with me but 
I think I think the the fact that's going to color this whole conversation is the ugly truth that this this was planned to be a trilogy before the sequel was even put into production. And I think that's the reason this movie bites so much is <sighs> is that they were looking past it while they were making it, which is never a good idea. Like, no. like that that's always a bad proposition when you're dealing with, you know, a film that's supposed to tell a story because this thing has no fucking story. It like no it's story. got it. There's no, almost nothing of import happens in this film no it's bad like like i said we just did the lure and at no point was i looking at my phone or felt the need to look at my phone when we get to that bar like we're, we're barely in the movie when we get to the bar i'm checked out completely yeah i i i wasn't checked out because folks at home the reason the reason why are we are reviewing halloween kills is well one it's the halloween season it seems appropriate and we we did review halloween 2018 so it, it, i'm actually kind of excited to keep it rolling but uh, the big reason why we're doing a review of this is because as kyle as kyle was watching this he was like live tweeting me essentially yeah. he was texting me while he was watching this film just like all these nasty quotes of just like the dialogue the dialogue and then he'd send me a gif of of <laughs> yeah the horror the horror the horror <laughs> like kyle kyle was not having a good time watching this movie and i've said it numerous times on the podcast i have some masochist masochistic tendencies when it comes to my media diet yeah. so when i hear something has hurt my friend I gotta know how. Like I, <laughs> like, I gotta know what it did to him. <laughs> so, like, it just instead of pushing me away from it, it drew me in. Um, let me use the restroom real quick because I want to just kick this movie in the nuts. Yeah, can we? Can, when? When did we start doing? When did we Tarkin? When was the first Grand Moff Tarkin? Well, we bring back an actor, and. I think Rogue One really did it first. They bring back a, a, a character, but the actor is deceased, and they have them be an actual character in the film. Was it Tarkin that they first did that with? Uh, probably not. Uh, I'm, I'm reaching for examples, but that's that's probably the first time that they they really blatantly attempted to use technology to to pull off that particular trick mm -hmm. like by having the person like front and center in the center of the frame uh big as life and twice as ugly because a lot of times things like that are done with um stock like archival footage yeah. of people or cast them in shadow or just show the back of their head or mm -hmm. it's simple tricks of the trade like that but that's like one of the highest profile examples I can think of in recent memory where they just like put him center frame and we're like, <laughs> there he is. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know what the fuck that was all about in this movie. Um, we're, we do this weird thing. I, I like this sometimes in horror movies where we get somebody from like an old franchise and have them be, it could be a cameo or just a minor character in the remake or whatever. Like, uh, what's her face in the Rob zombie movies. Uh, she, the little girl, she was in, like, Halloween 4 and 5, I think, and she ends up being one of the friends, which is fine. Like, and that actually works because she's just, like, one of the side characters who ends up dying. That's how you bring them back. But we bring back, like, all those fucking kids from the first Halloween movie, and they are characters for a while. Um, and then Michael Anthony Hall, this this scene at the bar, should we give a plot summary, I guess? I don't yeah, even know where sure. to start with this fucking thing. 
By the way, you're going to want to strike that and reverse it. It's uh, Anthony Michael Hall. Yeah, that's right. Michael Anthony Hall is the bassist from Van Halen. Oh, I can always fucking do that. Yeah, I, I used to do that with, uh, what's his face? I, I think it was like Kevin Peter Hall. Or, no, it was uh, David Keith and Keith David. I used oh. to get them. Like Obviously, I, they're two different people, one of whom is a African American fellow, and the other one just decided to like not. I was listening <laughs> but I to used to flip the names. I was listening to a podcast this this weekend, and they did that. They were like David Keith. I'm like, don't you mean Keith David? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, the major difference is that Keith David is fucking amazing. Like he's fucking awesome, and the other one, he's okay. He's yeah. he's fine. Like his his career just didn't reach the same heights. Mm. Like he's not as relevant, but. Uh, yeah, uh, plot summary for Halloween Kills, uh, again, directed by David Gordon Green, just came out, uh, like, the other day. Yeah. Uh, it's available in theaters and on Peacock, which is how both Kyle and I uh, watch this. I will say, Kyle, um, the the Cinema Speak podcast, uh, check out their Instagram uh, if you want to see a, a, <laughs> a really terrifying photo of a person in full-on Michael Myers uh, cosplay. Uh, sitting in in the theater with with the cinema speak podcast folks uh, it's a uh, it's terrifying apparently the guy just remained still as a statue until the until the movie started playing like That's through cool. the previews he was just like in the middle of the crowd just completely still didn't even turn his head um but yeah uh plot summary is um this is a different timeline of the halloween film franchise uh that discards all of the intervening sequels uh with the exception of the first halloween from 1978 uh halloween 2018 also directed by david gordon green uh all the other sequels didn't happen including halloween 2 uh which in the original timeline took place on the same night as halloween 1978 Mm -hmm. Uh, so halloween kills is the story of uh very similar to Halloween 2, the continued uh, Halloween night rampage again in the year 2018 of uh, Michael Myers, uh, the Haddonfield slasher, I guess you'd call him. Yeah. Uh, so this takes place on the same night in 2018, and uh, basically uh, that film ended with uh, him being trapped in a burning building. Obviously he survives and continues to kill, uh, and then uh, merry mishaps ensue. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, uh, like, really not a whole lot happens. It's kind of shocking, actually. A lot does happen, but it's all smashed into, like, the last 20 seconds of the movie, such that it's like, wow, that is one of the sloppiest edit jobs I think I've ever seen. <laughs> like, at least in recent memory, honestly. You know, his his reputation, it doesn't make any sense with the timeline, because he's only had one night of murders. Like, he killed his sister... Or, yeah, he killed his sister in the first movie, and then he killed, like, four teenagers, and then he went to prison. So when he gets out, they're like, oh, my God, he's this unstoppable thing. Like, it's insane how much he's going to kill in the, in the 2018 one. And it's like, but you have to have all those movies to know that he's unstoppable, because if you're just going off of that one night, it's not that big a deal, really. Yeah, they actually drew attention to that in the 2018 film, and actually was chuckle worthy like it was fun dialogue uh there's a scene where there's a few teenagers yeah the, around, yeah the kid at the beginning i remember and that. the one kid remarks that how like how you know what with all the mass shootings and stuff we've had in this country in the past several years like what's the big fucking deal he stabbed a, a couple people one night yeah Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> like this is American, and, you know <laughs> it, it, it's one of those things it's like yeah when you really think about unfortunately that is kind of true um 
but yeah in the timeline in this film halloween kills uh he's had this is his third night of of rampaging yeah because uh, this when he was like eight years old uh, he killed his older sister in 1963 uh, and then 1978 he went on rampage quote rampage killed about four teenagers yeah uh and and a dog yeah um and uh and then yeah that brings us up to 2018 where uh through happenstance and shenanigans uh he escapes from his uh, mental hospital uh 40 years after the fact that is so easy to remember kyle because the script in this film is so goddamn repetitive and obnoxious we still the the repetition of 40 years we still oh my god (laughs) we still don't know how he learned how to drive that is the one thing that still drives me nuts with this entire franchise from the 70s he was put in that institution when he was eight years old man he never learned how (laughs) but i don't know if he's the one that steals the he's not the one that steals the car in this movie so it it made sense but it would have made sense because the somebody steals the car and it crashes almost immediately like it goes around the corner like oh it's michael driving because he never learned how to drive but it's not what happens um yeah dude so fuck we get we get (laughs) loomis we we get like a we get that prologue do we (sighs) yeah we have have a prologue that serves as a, a retcon so so kyle are you familiar with the concept of a retcon uh isn't that like a supplement like i feel like that's a that's a supplement <laughs> brand or something i think that isn't that like redcon or something yeah Redcon maybe one or something? redcon yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think that's taken from like some special forces shit or something this operator culture kyle it's out of it's out of control hobbyist <laughs> um, <laughs> and shit um so a retcon uh is, it stands for uh, retroactive continuity and basically what it is is an instance where you take something that was part of the story, part of the the canonical story of a franchise or something, and in the current chapter of the story, you contradict it or you change it. Uh, so what I'm referring to here in regards to the Halloween franchise is the en- we have a retcon of the ending of the first Halloween film. So in 1978 and in the 2018 film... Uh, I don't think they ever really talk about it in the 2018 film, but in Halloween Kills, basically they throw the ending of the original film out the window because the the ending of that one is Loomis shows up, shoots the fuck out of Michael Myers, and he walks uh, away. He falls off of he falls off of a balcony and he disappears, which in that timeline leads to the sequel where he finds Laurie Strode at the at the hospital. Are but you t- in this one? Are you talking oh, about the ahead. Are you talking about the flashback that we're gonna get? Yes. Yeah, I was setting that up. Sorry, I was just gonna say that that the 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 boyfriend comes across Will. What's his name? Will Will Patton. That from Jim, Jim Cummings. <laughs> no, 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 no. The uh, <laughs> the one that's on the ground. He's got like he's bleeding out of his neck. The the, the older actor. Oh, oh, the sheriff. Yeah, the sheriff. Uh, yeah, Will, Will Will Patton. Yeah. Yeah, he comes up to him and he's just like, "What the fuck? Help! Help! I'm in the middle of nowhere and I have a cell phone, but I'm screaming. You fucking idiot." Um, he's like bleeding and he's like, nah, I gotta get him. And then we get our retcon and we're like, wait, what? Well, see, that's also kind of, that's kind of a retcon of the, of the, the last chapter of 2018 was that Will Patton was dead at the end of that movie. Yeah. He, he, he got stabbed in the throat with a surgical tool. That's like, that, that man is dead. Over. Yeah. That's yeah. That, that, he, that is, that is a dead guy. Yeah. But no, in this one, they're like, oh, no, he survived. It's like, why? Because Will Patton's a good actor. Fuck yeah, you. Yeah, we like him. <laughs> we like Will Patton. We like Even him. when he's creepy. Even when he's creepy. <laughs> yeah. uh, especially when he's creepy. God damn it. Um, 
but yeah, we have a prologue uh, that takes place on on the the 1978 night, and they they try to do some stuff with filters and lighting to make it, I guess, look like it's from the era. Yeah, I didn't find it terribly convincing. Um, but yeah, uh, this was see this was how I could tell Kyle was texting me live while he was watching the movies because he sent me a, a happy little text. Like, wait, when he first put on the movie, he was like, oh, hey, our boy Jim Cummings is in, is in the movie. Yeah. And then, like, 20 minutes later, I, I start getting, like, oh, God, the dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> but but in the early goings, he was like, oh, hey, I know him. Jim Cummings, like yeah. him. <laughs> he was He was cracking me up just with his face because I'm like, I remember how funny he was in The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Yeah, folks at home, if you're not aware of Jim Cummings and his film, uh, The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Check it out. A, it is a grand old time i actually really wanted to go back and watch it like it, it's a hidden after- gym it's a little <laughs> yeah. hidden gym and i think he's a very talented guy mm-hmm. uh, both as a director and an actor he's um, very funny he is not well utilized in this no film. he dies almost <laughs> instantly yeah and he's not allowed to be funny or have any real personality he's just a guy in a sheriff's outfit and it's like oh well it was nice seeing you, Jim. <laughs> but yeah, I guess we're we're chasing after Michael. Like we're that it's that night, and like Michael's like ran off again. So we get like they do actually. I think they do a good job with the Loomis here. Like they keep him far enough away, you can't really tell. Um, I don't know if he's CGI rendered or if they've got an actor that just looks close enough to him. That I had texted you about that. Um, this is called doing it right. This is just a man who looks like Donald Pleasance. Yeah. Like he's not CGI doctored. They did put some makeup on him, but for the most part, it's just a lookalike. It's just it a guy who looks like he doesn't sound anything like Donald Pleasance, well, which is a little irritating. No, I found it. Donald Pleasance has a very, very distinct delivery. Same, yeah. same with Peter Cushing, actually. Yes, like Tarkin. Yeah, you uh, may Peter fire, Cushing. You may fire when ready. Yes, <laughs> it. Uh, he he does the Hank Hill. He does. It's not when. It's when. Quinn. He puts the H. He puts the H in front. You see, Lord Quinn. Vader, she can be reasonable. Yes, he does. Yeah. Very Pe- sp- Peter Cushing has a very specific delivery, and you know the the CGI and and the different voice adds up to something. It doesn't sit well with you when it's again big as life and twice as ugly in center frame. This, however, from a visual standpoint, it's like yeah, he looks a lot like Donald Pleasance. Yeah. He doesn't sound at all like him, but. It works. This is a ch- this is a cheap, effective way of achieving the same effect. Um, but yeah, and I, I I commended them for that. Although I I hate to say it, but if they had more money to work with, I bet you they would have done it. <laughs> I was really concerned that we were going to spend because we jump immediately into this retcon, as you called it. Uh, <laughs> uh, I was really concerned. I'm like, please, please don't. Like, cause they did some legitimate casting here. I know this kid; he's in Project X. And I think he might have been in a couple other things. So I'm like, are we gonna spend time in the past, like actually going like after that first movie? It was really pissing me off at first, but then we're like, okay, we come back to present day. But yeah, Will Patton is this uh, fucking rookie or whatever, and this is a weird like you're bringing more of a character to Michael Myers as. I don't know. I don't like to do with his characterization because he's just supposed to be like a, a killing machine. He in this instance, like he would just slit this dude's throat, use him as a human shield, and then just kill the other cop. But he's just kind of holding him hostage for a second. I feel like he would just be just it would just be done. Yeah, the blocking of it is a little strange. So the retcon here comes in the form of I, the way I understood it was that instead of dumping an entire revolver into Michael Myers. Uh, Michael gets separated from Laurie somehow, 
and then it leads to this situation where he goes back to his childhood home and they have this idea that they introduce in this film i think where something about his window his upstairs window that he continually he just has a hypnotic like need to stare out of or like stare at his own reflection or something uh loomis somehow uh gets wise to this or understands that this is the case so they go to the myers house him and and the sheriff and the sheriff's deputy they head there um and turns out they're right he is at the house and he he ate that dog yeah um and uh yeah uh, jim cummings gets held hostage and the blocking of it like you said is very clumsy because michael doesn't have a knife on him Hmm. so he's got like a rope or something and he grapples with jim cummings and like beats him up like bops his head against the wall and then he's just kind of like using him as a human shield uh and then the will Patton character uh the younger version of will Patton's character uh, accidentally shoots jim cummings and kills him yeah right um, i think he hits him in the throat like he hits him in the neck i mean i don't understand why he couldn't just like walk up to the guy put the barrel to his temple yeah. <laughs> and get the job done right like if you're gonna shoot to kill like you may as well go with the sure bet but but yeah, just the fact that Michael doesn't have a weapon on him is just feels weird. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, it, it's just like one of those situations that it takes away some of the mystique of the character by yeah. putting him in in this particular situation. It it feels weird. It robs him of some of his mystique and some of his power. Yeah, and, that that's his that's his allure. That's what makes him creepy. Is that he is just this mechanic? Like he just he just kills. He is kill. That's what he does. And yeah, it's just kind of weird. Yeah, he's a shark, basically. Yeah. yeah. Or, or at least that's that's one interpretation of him. That's the one that I tend to lean towards. But yeah, a long story short, basically, uh, instead of shooting Mike Michael a bunch, they end up just arresting him, and Loomis takes him into custody. And uh, apparently, he wanted to execute him on the spot, but it's the Will Patton character who prevents that from happening. Uh, so instead, they take him into custody uh, when Loomis had intended to execute him on the spot. Um, so that that's the retcon is that is that instead of the ending of the original seventy eight film, this is how the rampage ends in in the story of Halloween Kills is is that Loomis wanted to kill him, and the whole business with the Will Patton character happens. But Kyle, we should get in we should get into the nitty gritty of of some of the shit that's bugging you because I know there's a lot. So like this bar, what's the this, first po- what's this, the first point that comes to mind? <laughs> this bar scene, I do not understand at all. Uh, we have a couple of characters that are going to get killed later. Don't worry about them. But they're having a conversation, <laughs> and three three drunk older people sit behind them, and the guys just like, hey, can you keep it down a little bit? And they're like, hey, sure. So we have a Halloween night. Meanwhile, okay, so murders are going on behind the scenes. Nobody knows about it. This is just this. We're in real time from the 2018 one. Nobody knows what's going on. We have a Halloween night talent show at a bar, and it's just a bunch of adults. I don't even know what the opening act was. Maybe been somebody singing karaoke. I don't really know. Um, but Michael, Anthony Michael Hall, Michael Anthony Hall, the nerd, Anthony Michael Hall, yeah, uh, the nerd from Breakfast Club, uh, gets up <laughs> on stage. They're like, "You gotta do, you gotta do a thing. You gotta use the thing." I go, no, I'm not gonna do that. He's like, "I'm gonna tell a little story," and it's supposed to. Like, is this supposed to be, like, a scary story? He's like, no, um, the three people that are sitting back there are the kids that were being babysat uh, when Michael Myers was murdering, and they're all scarred for life. But we're just going to go ahead and point them out. Those people back there are the ones that were children when these crazy murders happened. I'm like, what? what is to be gained of this? Like, what, what are you doing this for? Uh, and why would you tell people this? It, it makes no fucking sense. 
And by the yeah. way, this are these are the actors from the original movie. These three these three people. Well, at least two of them are. Yeah, at least two of them. One of whom went on to be a Real Housewife uh, oh, nice. from from the reality show. Uh, you can you can tell just by the way she's made up. It's like, <laughs> spot the housewife. <laughs> like not not just any housewife. Real real housewife. housewives. Um. But yeah, uh, Anthony Michael Hall. This is a, a missed opportunity from a casting standpoint, but. I do think it's very funny that the movie opens with the production logos and and loud and proud. This is a Blumhouse production, mm-hmm. and uh, the the phrase "spared no expense" does not apply uh, in in Blumhouse territory, <laughs> um, because yes, they spared quite a bit of expense in the making of this film, and unfortunately, I I think it looks very cheap from time to time. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think this is a handsome film, um, which is sad. Because I did think the 2018 Halloween, directed by David Gordon Green, same guy, uh, is a really handsome movie. Like, there's some good lighting, good shots. Like, there's some nice imagery in that film. This one just looks like ass. Yeah. Especially some of the set dressings. I was just like, oh, this looks horrible. Like, this this looks like a Roger Corman thing where we, we took a set and repurposed it for this one. Like, when we get to the Myers house with the Johns, with Big and Little John, mm-hmm. the lighting and the set decorations, like, I mean, decorations aside, but the lighting, I was just like, oh, oh, this looks terrible. But missed opportunity, but again, $20 million budget, so we couldn't afford him. But um, Anthony Michael Hall is playing Tommy Doyle, who in Halloween 6 was played by Paul Rudd in, like, I think his first star, like, in his first acting role. Oh. So it, w- it would have been kind of cute to have him back you know like kind of like jamie lee curris is doing where it's like it's it's this oddity on your on your resume on your filmography but then you come back to it and you know and even johnny depp did that with nightmare on elm street like he showed up for one of the later sequels i think he was in like uh, i was either freddy's dead i think it was freddy's dead either that or new nightmare but he he came back Kevin Bacon never came back for Friday the 13th, but John, <laughs> not John, everybody's willing. Johnny Depp popped up in 21 D- Jump Street, the remake. Yes, That's he, r- he did. I remember that. It was great. And he was really funny, <laughs> too, yeah. Yeah, I think it's important to acknowledge one's past, especially when it comes to like acting, where it's like just having a career as an actor is kind of a blessing unto itself. Um, so it would have been cute to have Paul Rudd. Uh, to his credit, I think Anthony Michael Hall is trying his best but my god this script this does script. him no favors like i i do think he tried but good god like the things he is asked to say the things everybody in this movie is are asked to say are just yeah oh my god like like i i don't care how good of an actor you are like you, you could be sir ian mckellen you'd still have a very difficult time getting through this script yeah <laughs> like, i was having like, like sex it's, it's so wooden and artificial I was having secondhand embarrassment trying to watch him. Like I can't. Even, I had to look away. I'm like I can't look at him say these lines anymore. Well, it's it's really repetitive, and the tone is is so overwrought. Like like we're we're talking about it. Like the whole the whole world is at stake. It's like it's a fucking podunk town. This dude is <laughs> this dude is in his fucking fifties. I like no. How old is Michael at this point? He's in his seventies, probably. Yeah, I'm like, this doesn't make any fucking sense. Like, his knees are shot. Like, <laughs> I mean, you get one good tackle on this guy, he ain't doing shit. But I guess I mean that- one of the, one of the hallmarks of Michael Myers is that he doesn't speak, and occasionally you hear him breathing on the soundtrack. 
but wouldn't it be funny to have him like grunting and just like, <laughs> 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 like, like on the stairs, just like, <laughs> he's gonna throw his fucking back out, dude. He ain't gonna do shit. Uh... <laughs> just have, like reaching out his hand, like, hang on, slip oh. the disc. Oh shit, uh, uh, I'll I'll murder you momentarily. Well, I guess I guess they kind of like kind of point out like he's he's inhuman like that's kind of what we we learn from this is that he is inhuman <sighs> so i i'm i'm jumping all over the place but the one of the things that uh, was so obnoxious about the script is that I, and i'm trying to be very careful here because the halloween franchise is very long and there's precedent for a lot of the the ugly things like a lot of the things i'm going to be drawing attention to are things that have been done and have been part of the franchise for quite a while. So I, I'm, I'm trying to tread carefully and, and not pretend like these are isolated instances or something. But the thing that's obnoxious about the script to me is that they took the tone of Donald Pleasance's dialogue from the from his appearances in the Halloween franchise and transposed it onto everyone. Mm-hmm. It's like, that only works when it's coming out of Donald Pleasance and he's the only guy talking like that. When everybody's talking like that, they sound like fucking crazy people. It's like we were gonna do. It's like you're gonna do uh, another Bram Stoker's Dracula, but you just take Renfield's uh, Renfield's dialogue and you just have everybody be that. Like, oh my gosh, that would be obnoxious. Like, I couldn't handle. Yeah, that. when when everybody is Tom Waits, you have yourself an art film. Monster. <laughs> um, I was. I was rewatching that last night. I had to. I had to pause it halfway through. Switch gears. It just wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't hitting the right way. So, um, yeah, I, I agree. I I didn't really notice that, but that that makes absolute sense. That like I I knew there was something bothering me about. It. I'm like, yeah, it's because we're just saying what Loomis said. Like, oh, this guy's inhuman. We got to kill him. Uh, there's a big. Um, a mob mentality like we're gonna take things into our own hands and that's really where i'm like i'm i'm done already this is stupid see see i actually had a thought about that um before i watched the movie (laughs) um i i've said this numerous times on the podcast i have a thing i do like when i'm watching especially like the marketing for a film i i i go down some roads and i i try to craft an idea of what i'd like to see out of out of the the teases that i saw in like the trailer for it and stuff and I had a, a thought uh, towards the halfway point of this one when the mob was being riled up, like when Anthony Michael Hall's Tommy Doyle is like stirring the crowd up into a fervor and they, they leave the bar and like actually start going to patrol the streets and stuff, uh, brandishing guns and bats. I had a thought, and I'm curious what you think of this, Kyle, was I thought it would be really interesting if we had like a dramatic perspective shift in the presentation of the film so it like starts out like as as the film currently exists but then from that moment on when they're hunting for michael we like cut to michael doing his michael myers shit you know murdering people and stuff and then he he's aware of the fact that there are people looking for him and we get to see the effect that that has on his routine we don't explore that at all in the film as it is, but I thought it would be interesting to do kind of like we did in the 2018 film. You know that like three-minute sequence? It's like a one take of him going into multiple houses and killing people and stuff. Mm-hmm. Really knockout sequence in that movie. I really like that. But wouldn't it be interesting to see that with like sirens and like lights in the streets and like crowd noises? Like obviously people looking for this guy, and he's still he's still doing his shark routine. He's like still finding ways to murder people while people are on the prowl for him 
I think it would have lent an interesting energy to things where you get to see him negotiate like hostile territory, something that we really haven't seen him do before. Uh, but no, instead, we, we just kind of go about things as normal. In fact, less than normal, it, like parts of this movie feel more akin to a Friday the 13th movie than they do a Halloween movie, to be honest. I'm not too familiar. I've seen, I've, I realize I've actually seen quite a few Friday the 13th movies. It's just I have no recollection of them or really know what the, like, generally what Jason is supposed to be accomplishing. Um, but uh, I think that Rob Zombie did it well with his first remake um, where he kept to Michael just being, it's it's just, I move forward and I kill along the way. And that's just what, what happens. I don't know if I really like I don't think it fits the character for him to be affected by uh, people looking for him like that. Like, he just he just keeps moving. It's it's just move along and kill, move along and kill, move along and kill. Like there's no real there's there's no real end to his madness. Like he just he just moves along. Yeah, I, I want to stay on this for a little bit then, because like the the presentation of the Michael character is it's a little. It's a little all over the place, to be honest. Yeah. Like it, it's it's one of those things. It's an eternal debate as to like everybody has their own their favorite version of one of these characters. Um, you only you get what you get, but like his introduction into the movie, I thought was kind of neat. Um, we we mm. discover how he survived the fire, and it oh, actually I think it's was ridiculous. What the fact that like a firefighter crew goes in there and he was hiding behind a oh, shutter in, no, in the basement? That's fine. It's what happens after he gets out of the house. Oh yeah, no, that was that was what I was kind of alluding to when I said like Friday the Thirteenth. And yeah. this is this is a problem that every quote slasher franchise encounters is you you get to a certain point where the the popularity of the character eclipses the the actual horror element of the storytelling. Mm-hmm. Where it's like we got there with with Freddy and Jason. Where it's like at some point those franchises got wise of the fact that people aren't going to these movies to be scared. They're going because they like these characters and watching them kill stupid teens. Um, and it got really explicit to the point that's like Freddy Freddy Krueger at one point was modeled after James Bond. Same with uh, same with Jason. Actually, like they have a Bond opening sequence for I think it's the uh, I think it's the sixth one. Where he literally does the walk into the center of the frame. Oh my and like, god! Yes, it, it's stupid as fuck, but it tells it's a signal that that's where we're at with this franchise. And in Michael Myers's case, a major distinction between him and like a Jason was that like in general, like the Halloween movies are, are, are violent, but they're they're more suspenseful and they're not like as gory. So it's more about like actually setting the stage for the kill and like actually having some clever lighting and like some nice setup whereas like jason like friday the 13th movies it's, it's kind of all about the glory of the kill and mm-hmm. like how how much cool effects work we can put into it and stuff but uh in this case like yeah him him killing a dozen firefighters in like a choreographed almost like action sequence feels grossly out of out of tone very like, much. It feels grossly out of place where it's like there's there's a lot of people like i said this movie feels like it's pandering to like a very specific subsect of fan there are a lot of people who will cheer at the sight of michael myers cutting loose and doing cool stuff but for me personally it's like i don't want to see him do cool stuff i want to see him be like scary and uh, and and otherworldly and mysterious I, I, and it takes so much of the 
the mystery out of the room when you have him like well lit and just like doing like a choreographed martial arts routine on a bunch of firefighters. Yeah, one of the one of the best sequences from that 2018 one was when he first gets to town and we we get that the uh, the voyeur view of him like looking into the house and then we get him coming into the back and coming in and killing the lady. I'm like, it's really good. And that's what makes him creepy is him hiding in plain sight. Like you get to see what he's going to do and then him kind of like sneak in. You're like, oh shit, she has no idea. Yeah, this is just like eight dudes and none of them get the drop on him and he's just working through them one by one. And, and it's pre- it's presented in a way that's it's it's a form of spectacle. And I feel like that's in grossly incorrect mm-hmm. for for Halloween. For for Friday the 13th, absolutely. It's a lot of fun to to see Jason just hack people to shit. That's awesome. And, and him- like Michael Myers part part of the thing with Michael Myers is like I don't think it's appropriate to to show him kind of like displaying any sort of passion Mm-mm. or even putting energy into what he's doing no. it's just like it's casual he just does it yeah um, so it, him exerting himself seems odd to me yeah when he kills a little fat kid in that uh the 2018 one where he's like standing there was really really creative so we have that automatic light going off in the backyard and he's like standing in the shadows i'm like that's how you build the tension and make him scary is by making him not it just he's not moving you don't see him move, and this is where all seeing him move. Yeah, it, it's funny because the the retcon, the the prologue sequence in Halloween Kills, uh, didn't sit well with me because of its placement in the film. One, I didn't really understand why why I was being asked to care about Mm-mm. what happened there. Like, did I really need to know that? Don't like, care. All, all all that's important is that uh, his rampage came to a conclusion, and we all know that he went to an institution after that. I don't need to know more than that. But the reason I say it's it's placement didn't sit well with me is like I actually really love that shot um, that connects directly to the end of Halloween 2018, where all the gals, the the Lori and her uh, and Judy Greer, mm-hmm. <laughs> everybody's favorite mom, yes, uh, Judy Greer, uh, and uh, the other gal, the younger one, they're all in the like the back of a truck, and they're speeding down the highway, and then we see a fire truck going the opposite direction, and Jamie Lee Curtis is crying about no let him burn Mm -hmm. I would have loved that to be like one of the first shots of the movie because it 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 has the energy like it it has a sense of immediacy and urgency that really really works and then even the even the sequence in the house with with Michael and the firefighters is not bad it's when we get out on that front lawn and he just cuts loose on them and and it it just kind of goes off the rails it's like oh shit we're doing this it's like this is fun, but I, it doesn't feel right. Is the problem? <laughs> yeah. But uh, I I will counter that and say that I I think my favorite Michael sequence in the whole movie, and it's only half of it because I didn't really enjoy the the introduction to it is the uh, the like middle aged couple um, when he come he the one the gal is uh, playing yeah. with a drone yeah. Uh, that sequence, aside from their dialogue, which I I could take or leave, it's like you, this is just clearly two people improvising or something and having a f- having fun on the set, and then we just put it into the movie. Um, that sequence, um, there's that one shot where she's like laying down on the ground bleeding out, mm-hmm. and he's just repeatedly putting knives into her husband in front of her. It's fucking, that was awesome. That's awesome. I will complete. That was awesome. I'll completely <laughs> agree with you on that. I'm like whoa dude that is because she's still alive watching this happen 
and just yeah watching your loved one just have knives just stuck into them multiple knives and he's just yeah he's just like turning around fighting another knife it's pretty creepy it's creepy but i that's to me that that's my michael like that that's mm-hmm. what i i want more of is is this dispassionate just like it's not even it's not it doesn't mean anything to him he just he 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 mortally wounds her by putting a fluorescent tube into her throat that was a little weird to be honest yeah like it's grizz it's grizzly yeah for sure but just the what i didn't like out of that was the creativity aspect of yeah. it. yeah because because this is this is something that again this is me trying my best to negotiate this territory because i know this franchise but i don't know it super intimately because michael myers has always had since the first film like a propensity for like artistic flair um when it comes to like uh defacing bodies and like displaying them like after the fact after the killing's done it's always after but the actual killing generally is very utilitarian Mm -hmm. just get it done and then afterwards his like you know madness and creativity they go hand in hand he's like oh this is my canvas yeah i have to draw you (laughs) yeah i'm creative uh yeah he uh uh this is where you kind of see like it's not not so much creativity but almost like a like a kid like what a kid would do with something it's just like i just keep stabbing it and it's just not moving anymore what what i'm getting at is like I dispute the idea of him observing his surroundings and like unscrewing a fluorescent tube to use as a weapon. That yeah. seems like a that's a lot of that's a lot of gears that have to be turning in order to get to that conclusion. Mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with him like stacking bodies and putting them in funny poses and stuff. He's yeah. been doing that again he since likes to 1978. Yeah. yeah, he likes it. He likes it. <laughs> it's it's his it's apparently his one joy. <laughs> like it's yeah. his pleasure, but but what I disagree with is him like looking around the kitchen for something to kill this lady with. It's like, dude, you got two mitts, man. Yeah, dude, like, you, like, you're a hulking monster. You can. Well, he's supposed I to mean, be big, yeah. I mean, in in 1978, he he picked up a dude and he could have choke slammed him to hell. Yeah. Instead, he just like held him in place with one hand and impaled him on a wall. So he's clearly very very strong, and this woman isn't doing a whole lot to defend herself. But yeah, he like has this moment where he's like. He's he's doing the thing like in a video game where the context sensitivity buttons are popping up. It's like, what should I push her near the dumpster? Or like <laughs> the cutting the cutting board? Like press press X to decapitate. Yeah. <laughs> but but that sequence, like I think you and I can both agree, was does good. Affected it was effectively chilling, and I like the framing of it and even the lighting and and him like jabbing the knives into the guy. Uh, the the posture of the actor by the way the actor who portrays uh michael myers in this film is james jude courtney same fella is in 2018 and uh nick castle also stands in from time to time the original michael myers um many many people have have worn the the boiler suit but the body language he uses when he's stabbing all these knives into this guy's back it's it's very dispassionate it's almost like he's like feeling it out it's almost like he's just like finding the right knife or something he's mm-hmm. like eh, that, didn't, that didn't take it's not quite my tr- it's not quite my tempo yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly yeah no. very 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 accurate no no not, yeah. yeah 
But uh, unfortunately, I think that's like the best sequence. That's the it. Movie. That's the movie. Like you could just stop there. That's that's pretty much it. Yeah, we have a mob forming. Uh, they the one couple go to get into the car, and she's like, "Oh my, Michael Myers is in the back seat of the car." And Michael Anthony, the nerd, is like, he grabs a bat, and he's just like, "Oh, I'm gonna go beat his ass." It's like, no, like you know that's not gonna work. But uh, that. It, whenever he escaped, there was another crazy guy that got out, and he's the one that—that that is the other thing that's fucking stupid in this movie. What what does that have to do with anything? Because even Judy Greer is like, "Hey, I know it's not you. Like, I know it's not Michael Myers. I know it's your the other crazy guy." So there's this other crazy guy running around town as like a red herring for everybody. Yeah, that. Like I said, the, I think the thing that is going to hang over this entire conversation is the fact that Halloween ends was greenlit before this movie even went into production. So how, how do we get to Halloween ends? It's like, well, I don't have any good ideas. So let's fill up the screen time with some B plot about some other escaped (laughs) mental patient and uh, devote like a half an hour of the movie to just that. Do we kill, Um, do we kill kids in this? uh, I think so. Yeah. Because yeah, so. yeah. we get, like, the one older lady, she's like, hey, you little shits need to go home. Yeah, on the playground. Yeah. It's off screen. But, yeah, they were fairly young, so I'll, I'll count that as a kid. I do, um, I, I can't, I can never, is it Michael McDonald? What, which yeah. one? Is Michael McDonald? What's, uh, who, <laughs> yeah. which one's Shooter McGavin? What's Shooter McGavin's name? Oh, Chris, I think. Okay, he's Chris McDonald, okay. Michael McDonald, Chris McDonald. Um, yeah, so he his bad casting for this movie because I can't not laugh. Just he, he doesn't have to say anything. He just barely has to say anything, and it's funny to me. Um, if it, this was weird. So he and his partner, uh, Big John, <laughs> Big yeah. John and Little John, which is kind of funny. Big John, Little John. Big John, uh, who's uh, worked with Danny McBride in The Righteous Gemstones, and I, I like in that show. Uh, but he's just upstairs, like, getting his monster mash on, smoking weed. And I don't understand. He's just like, it's Halloween. This is what you do for Halloween. You smoke weed and you listen to a record. I'm like, if you're a fucking psychopath, like, I, what are you doing? And Michael McDonald's making a nice charcuterie board. And they get the kids doing f- cool prank that the kids pull on these guys. I, I did I did like that. Yeah, that that was a fun prank where they they have a, one of their friends like splayed out on the sidewalk with a bunch of fake blood, and they claimed that like, oh, he he ate one of the apples you gave him, and it had razor blades in it, and you guys are responsible. And then they they go into their house behind their backs and steal their bowl of candy. Uh, so they really take the the trick or treat the trick aspect of yeah. the trick or treat uh, to heart. Um, but this is what I'm talking about uh, when I say Blumhouse production, twenty million dollars. Uh, one of Danny McBride's friends and Michael McDonald, mm-hmm. two comedic actors who very obviously have the tools to improvise on a shitty set. And they its they don't even get to do anything good. Yeah, but they eat up a lot of screen time, right? A significant <laughs> amount. It's, yeah. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> this... And I, I want to say, like, 80% of the runtime of this movie is just padding. Yeah, it is. We get the shots with uh, Laurie Strode with the uh, with the sheriff in the hospital. What if we're if you're what if you're in watching this movie and you're in the hospital, you can go do something else. Like it means absolutely nothing. Yeah, two two actors being paid to lay down. Yeah, on the, on the set. That's the dream. <laughs> for, for for probably one week of shooting because that location's the most expensive one we've got. Meanwhile, we've got. 
this uh, Blumhouse set that we we've reused for any number of horror movies over the past several years that we can put these two comedic actors who know how to improvise on the set of and have them come up with their own characters, Big and Little John, and just riff. Just if I could snap, this is when I would do it, Kyle. Mm. Just click, 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 click. We're bebopping and scatting all the way through this movie. <laughs> See, what sold me on this movie was the park scene. So I think we get to see, this is where Michael gets to do his fun stuff of like putting bodies in weird places. So he's got like the, the people on the merry-go-round. Uh, basically all those all those adults that were uh, terrorized as children all get killed at the same time in a car. Like just pretty much, it's just I dumb. had a lot of issues with the sequence. So we have some explicit reference to the original Halloween film in the form of him hopping on top of the car and uh, grabbing the old nurse lady through the window, which in this film she survived. Um, And uh, she has all of them have guns, by the way. Mm -hmm. Um, None of them really know how to use them. No. And that nurse lady has that moment of such cringe. Like most of the returning actors, aside from Jamie Lee Curtis, who still has got the goods has she's still got plenty of juice left most of the returning actors in this there's a reason their careers didn't exactly blossom after the fact that again the script isn't doing them any favors but this nurse lady has this grotesque line of this is for dr loomis oh my god yeah i, I was just like what that's so stupid like first of all lady he was a co-worker yeah 40 years ago he didn't even like, like you he didn't like anybody he, I don't think he liked anybody. He didn't like anybody. <laughs> and really, he probably died 40 years ago, too. Like, I, I, it, it just, it's pandering. It's like fan service, but for who and for what? For who? And that, that's, and for what? <laughs> nice hat. <laughs> but, but it's, it's, a lot of this, mo- there's a lot of fan service in this movie, and it, it speaks to, like, I don't know, a certain obligation on the part of franchise filmmakers like a an assumed obligation where it's like there are super fans out there who thanks to the internet and stuff and repeated viewings obsess about these little details only problem is we we as filmmakers don't actually know which of those details are important to who Mm -hmm. so if we just cram in as many of these tiny little visual references or whatever as possible it's it's a lot of probabilities. It's like one of these is going to connect with somebody and have meaning and will translate to a positive ass- assessment of the product. But things like that, it's just like, this is for Dr. Lomas. It's like your co- your coworker from 40 years ago who wasn't a very nice guy? Cool. Yeah, yeah. that's that's what I want to say before I shoot a guy who's trying to fucking stab me in the face. That, <laughs> that, that's what I was saying. It's like we've killed off the rest of the franchise. We stop at movie one. But you still have to have watched all the rest of the franchise to appreciate. Exactly. Yeah. And that if you're going to take the, the, the bold step of tossing all of your continuity out the window, maybe stick to your guns. Like, but no, this one takes a very big step backwards, if you ask me. Like, it, it really does feel like pandering, such that it's like we're doing things that we're assuming is for the fans, but really it's kind of talking down to them in a way that doesn't sit well with me. It feels ugly. The the kills aren't even good. Like the rest of the kills aren't even that good in this movie. Like all the like he does kill all the uh all the adults in the car and like puts them in a like hangs one up. He puts three in a merry-go-round. I think there might be a couple of dead kids in there. I'm not entirely sure. Um and I mean from here on out like the Big John and Little John, their deaths are it doesn't even it doesn't even matter. Like there's there's just yeah. 
insignificant. Yeah, the, the scene in the park that there's the one bit where the dude gets stabbed under the eyeball. That was interesting. I didn't even that catch it's that. A, it's an ang- it's the that's the husband wife that they traded professions. That was a cute detail. Yeah. She's actually the doctor and he's the nurse. Oh, that's cool. And he's and he's wearing the doctor's coat, but he gets stabbed like in the sinus cavity under the eyeball. It's it's only interesting because it's unique. It's like I you don't often see that. And, you know, I'm okay with that. And then there's that it's a it's an attempt at comedy where his wife tries to shoot Michael Myers and he kicks the door and it hits the gun and she shoots herself, which feels grossly out of place. Yeah. Where it's like in a different movie. Yeah. In a in a Friday the 13th movie. Absolutely. Do do more of that. That's hilarious. But in a Halloween movie in like especially one hot off the heels of the 2018 one that was mostly a very serious affair aside from that fucking kid that kid is delightful <laughs> the the kid that's being babysat in the 2018 one he has so many zingers oh in that yeah that kid's funny yeah that kid's fucking hilarious yeah. <laughs> and he does have a brief appearance on a news report in this one but aside from that that movie was mostly very serious and actually took the characterization of like the Laurie Strode character very seriously. Mm-hmm. Like there's that restaurant scene with her and Ju- Judy Greer. Yeah. Like that was like grandma's having a bad day. Like, like it, it was uncomfortable. She and well acted. She, when she goes into the house, when she like breaks into that, she's like, bang, you're dead. Like that was a, that was kind of a funny sequence there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. P- point is the tone of that one was what I would like to see more of. This one betrays that in favor of, something something more crowd pleasing but again tailored to a very specific crowd but yeah that that park sequence like felt like it was lit with shop lights mm-hmm. like it looked it looked cheap the choreography of it wasn't exactly astounding like it was clumsy and what's more i'm sorry like you you have this character michael myers who again is not jason Voorhees. he's at best when he's kept in the shadows and mysterious and and the way to play to that isn't to have five fucking people in the room with him. The fewer people you can have in the room with him, the more threatening he appears. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you have him well lit with street lamps and a whole SUV full of armed, well-armed people, that's not a good utilization of your Michael Myers. He just comes across as some random psycho with a mask, like, yeah. as opposed to like what Dr. Loomis talks him up to be is just this like otherworldly force of pure evil. Like he can't be that if he's well lit and and he's tussling with five people at a time. Um, I, yeah, I really didn't care much for that sequence, and it, nothing about it worked for me. But uh, Kyle, uh, not to, not that we're on the rails, but <laughs> not to derails. But I'm really curious how you feel about this. So Anthony Michael Hall, Tommy Doyle, he's kind of the guy who's responsible for stirring up all of Haddonfield into a fervor. I don't know how many times he uses the phrase 40 years, but he, he has to hammer it into, head, into the head of anyone who will listen. 40 years ago, this guy stabbed some of our people. He scared me. He didn't touch me. He just evil, scared me. Evil. <laughs> what is it? Evil ends tonight? Is that the other one? Evil dies oh tonight. Oh, my God. That, <laughs> evil dies tonight. <laughs> it's so bad. But your question, yeah. please. My question. So uh, the Tommy Doyle character, as Kyle had said, uh, he starts off in a, bo- in a bar uh, he kind of brings everybody down. He really yeah, he's a real fucking bummer, dude. Yeah. yeah, it's Halloween. We got people dressed up in costumes. We got apparently some like reality TV stars, the Levesque triplets, singing on stage as mermaids. Yeah, 
But he 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 grabs the mic and he's like, "Let me tell you something, brother. This is <laughs> some ho- bad shit happened. It's <laughs> Halloween. We're adults. Let's do a little blow. Have a little fun. I don't want to listen to your fucking sad sack story." Yeah, but no, he felt the need to bring the mood down. But anyway, um, that sequence when uh, the other escaped mental patient is breaking into the doctor's car, and we have that like suspenseful sequence where it's like, "Is that Michael?" Because they think it's Michael. You fucking. But know. we, the viewer, are like obviously it's not michael like why would he be hanging out in someone's back seat when there's plenty of people around to stab yeah (laughs) actually i thought it was going to be a homeless person jerking off or something like the the windows were fogged man (laughs) halloween halloween him having a knife is like his viagra you're not wasting this boner dude that boner's going places i mean he's been it's been 40 years, Kyle. Yeah. Like, <laughs> he's got a lot to make up for. Yeah. <laughs> but my question. So Anthony Michael Hall steals steals a man's bat, by the way. Mm-hmm. That is not his bat. Not his that bat. is the bartender's bat. That's the bartender's bat. He, he, did, he did not engrave that. That 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 bartender should have said something because that, that was a cool bat. But he steals that bat. And he's kind of the driving force behind stirring up the whole town into a fervor and, and you know, doing some mob justice. Mm-hmm. Um, Love to see I how he would re- handle the uh, vaccine mandate. I really feel like he would uh, he'd have a lot of trouble with that. <laughs> That's what's funny about the timing of this movie is that they they were obvi- they were making that bef- they were making the movie before that. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious what what the subtext would have been had they started production a little bit later. I don't think it would have changed. I think this would have been the exact same. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I was uh I was craving. I was doing that thing I do where I was I was doing the plot math. And I was like, wouldn't it be interesting if we get like a quint from jaws moment here where I mean, the whole time he's talking up like how much he even like speechifies to himself. Like he's talking to himself at one point about what he's gonna say to Michael when he finds him. He's he's gonna he's like I'm gonna hit you, and he's gonna, he's gonna say I'm gonna say night night. I'm gonna take off his mask. I'm gonna bash his brains in. I'm gonna say night night. And he's like, yeah, I'm a badass. It's like you're a nerd. You're a fucking nerd. <laughs> but um, I was craving like a sequence where we get like a a Quint moment where. It, the the baddest ass in the room is thoroughly humbled and we really like fixate on it and like really make a moment out of it unfortunately that does happen over a dark night monologue that plays out over the last 30 seconds of the movie where we cram in like all the important shit that happens in the movie into 30 seconds such that it almost feels like a fucking fever dream but I was really, I was really craving a, like a moment where he turns a corner and he gets exactly what he wants, but it's not what he wants. <laughs> yeah, I where it's yeah, I know what you mean by. Or cor- or 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 I just came up with this Kyle. Or during the prologue, I think it was him who had the encounter, or was it the other? Was it Lonnie or whatever who had that moment where he ran into Michael and then like cowered like a, a like he he curled up into a ball like yeah. in a fetal position. Um, I think it may have been the other kid, but it, it would be interesting if when he does encounter Michael, instead of being the heroic badass, he chickens out. Does somebody? And then, and then you have some plot stuff for the next movie where it's like, I had a moment where I could have been the hero and nobody saw it happen, but I know that I didn't step up. Um, no, I think that he should get the worst death in the movie, though, because he is the one leading the charge. And uh, does somebody get uh, thumbs in the eyes? Is that one? That of... would be Big John. Big John. That would be Big See, John. 
fuck, dude. That would have been the perfect death for the nerd. For uh, for Michael Anthony Hall. If you just... That's how he goes. Is he gets the fucking eye squish. Like, the really... Like, everybody can feel it. Like, oh my god, that's brutal. Um, I think... Yeah, I think if he just would have, like... He had his moment, like, I'm gonna do something about this. I can handle this shit. And then he just gets smushed. Like, he just gets his head crushed. I was, I was really craving that. Or maybe a, a moment where... Uh again this does happen it's just the way it's edited is so sloppy and terrible it's absolutely horrendous but um the other way you could play that out is like have him and the mob find michael and then he gets to see what happens when the mob finds michael and he gets to have like five seconds where he's like oh i'm responsible for putting these people in harm's way Mm -hmm. i i did a bad thing and like horrible things are done to all of them and then by the time by the time michael comes for him it's like he had that like five seconds of personal hell before the violence happened it's like that's that's called filmmaking (laughs) that would be interesting filmmaking but instead we get that but all the all the people dying happens in the dark dimension obviously filmed on a totally different day and uh we have laurie strode giving us again a dark night monologue over the last 30 seconds of the movie where all the important shit happens and we're not even sure if it's going to stick because this franchise has a habit of undoing things that we thought were pretty well set. Uh, so there is a chance that what happens in the finale of this one could be undone. Who knows? Do you want to talk about the ending? Because I don't really have much else to say about the middle part. <sighs> uh, we should probably talk about some of the stuff that happens in the Myers house or, or, or the hospital. Yeah, I got to talk about. I was. You got to talk about the hospital for a second. Fully fucking checked out. So you're gonna have to. Uh, you're gonna have to lead the charge on that. Well, evil dies tonight, Kyle. Evil <laughs> dies tonight. I didn't. I, I. I didn't give a shit. Like I. At that point, like they're like talking in the hospital, and like I was literally on Reddit. Like I was. I was done with the movie at that point. Yeah, I mean, mostly what all you need to know is evil. Evil dies. Evil tonight. dies tonight, dude. It does. Yeah, evil doesn't. But it doesn't actually. But it doesn't. <laughs> um, and then uh, Lori's granddaughter's boyfriend. Oh God. Uh, that kid's not very handsome, by the way. He's like say that a much. busted Ezra. Is it Ezra Klein? Is that uh, what's that? Ezra Miller. Ezra Miller. There we go. Yeah, who the fuck is Ezra Klein? Uh, that is a name. I don't have a face to go with it in my head, though. But anyway, uh, yeah, he's not very handsome. It's like you can do better, gal. Like you're not you're not doing you're not doing so bad in the looks department yourself, gal. You can do yeah, better. You can him. do better than that. Yeah, you can do way better than him. But anyway, uh, he has a line in the hospital. It's something about like he he's infected this town and he's infected our family. And there's a lot of repetition between Laurie Strode and uh, Will Patton's uh, uh, deputy sheriff or whatever. Uh, because he he did in fact survive from the 2018 film but they're put in a hospital room together and they commiserate over the events of the evening and a big part of the plot is that Lori isn't aware that they failed to kill michael and when she becomes aware she goes all gung-ho and like tries to hop out of the bed and stuff but um will Patton tells her that uh it's not your fault and he's he's the person who who tells her what we the viewer already know that in this interpretation of the Halloween story, Michael Myers has no particular fixation on Laurie as a person. Mm-hmm. He, he's, he's a shark. He kills whatever wanders into his path. It's only through external machinations that she somehow becomes this, this target for him. 
like in the 2018 film we had that very strange doctor character who turned out to like be a turncoat and brought michael to her house Mm -hmm. Um, but aside from that michael doesn't give two shits about her but she's convinced herself that he does and it's will Patton who tells her no you're wrong you're just crazy (laughs) so like you have too high of an opinion of yourself um but yeah the two of them exchange loomisisms uh, which extends to their their kin, and they they also have lumicisms of it, again. He's infected this town. He's I, infected our families for forty years. I'll go ahead and say it. I do not give a single shit about Loomis. Like I love that first Halloween movie. I couldn't give a care. I could not care less about that character. I don't have any particular attachment to him either. I like Donald Pleasance as an actor, and he's fun in that movie, but. A lot of my memories of that movie kind of excise him from it, yeah. honestly. He's like so... Most, most of my favorite stuff doesn't involve him. Yeah, same with the Halloween remake when we have... Uh, oh, God. Can't think of the actor's name. Um, but, Mike, Michael. <laughs> Malcolm McDowell. Malcolm McDowell, there we go. Mike, Michael Myers. Yeah, like, even him, I'm like, the Loomis character doesn't matter. He's just a little bit of exposition, and he's just supposed to be the person looking for him, but I don't care. I, I'm, I, he's he's Michael's hype man. Yeah, like he he's there to let everybody he's in Paul the room Bear. know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, <Ugh>. Michael. <laughs> he would have been a good Loomis. <laughs> Loomis carrying around an urn. <laughs> that was my first exposure to professional wrestling. Was the lead up to that that year's SmackDown, like '96 or '97? But Paul Bear was, was with Kane at that time. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, his brother Kane, yeah. Yeah, there was that stretch where Paul Barrow was, he's like, I'm going to hook up with the, the better brother, mm-hmm. the newer, fresher Undertaker, <laughs> the one with one sleeve. That's yeah. how you know he's, that's how you know he's 90s tough, because <laughs> his design is asymmetric. <laughs> he was a scary looking dude for, for for me as a kid. I'm like, he, he was a little, he was, he was, he was creepy. I mean, he's, he's all of like 6'10", 6'11", and he can go off the top rope. That, that is a formidable human being. <laughs> <laughs> a formidable opponent. <laughs> Finally. But, <laughs> oh, yeah, and he carry, he he brings portable pyrotechnics. That's like, awesome. And anytime those hands go up and down, fire. <laughs> fire. On command. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Yeah, freeze oh, yeah. metal. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Loomis is not a particularly beloved character for me. Again, though, I do like Donald Pleasance as an actor, and he he carries a lot of the drama of the movie, but I think the truly effective parts of that original Halloween are just pure just filmmaking. Filmmaking. It's yeah, it's there's a reason why you watch it in in film classes as a for like a horror movies because there's a lot that it's being done in that movie. It it's exceedingly atmospheric. It's very well paced. It doesn't hurry. Mm-mm. Like it's not in. It's not in a hurry to get to where it needs to go. It's suspenseful. The shots are fantastic. The score. It's one of the thing that we have. We haven't talked about here, but the score is legendary. One of the best opening credit sequences in film history, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's it's tremendous. Yeah. It's it's, it's it, it it is a film. Yeah. Uh, and and I would I would defy anyone to counter that. Uh, by thinking lesser of it but yeah uh, loomis as a character though is he is paul bearer um, <laughs> and his absence actually wouldn't make for a like an embarrassing product it wouldn't make for an embarrassing entry in the franchise case in point 2018 I, we didn't have a loomis nope. and it was just fine i don't even think we <laughs> i don't even think we say the name loomis in that first movie <laughs> 
I mean, they may have, but the point is he's not a presence in the film, and it's not less for it. But um, this one, it, he, his spirit is alive and well in the form of the dialogue transposed onto everybody. But yeah, that hospital sequence, like when, when everybody's doing the Evil Dies Tonight chant and they find the other escaped mental patient and they're all looking for him and trying to kill him that goes on and on and on it's like a half it's like an 10 hour minutes fucking... it's like a legit actual 10 minutes of the movie and it all the drama is sucked out of the room because we we devote so much screen time to that and meanwhile i think we're cutting back to the johns yeah looking for an intruder in their house so we the viewer are are keenly aware that like it's not the more inter- the more interesting stuff is happening elsewhere. Can we just like watch that? And all the hospital stuff, it goes on and on and on and the music is getting out of control. It's I think they even have like a low budget choir in there when he's getting ready to jump out the window. It's like when and then and then the sheriff Kyle, the old sheriff. Now he's turning us into monsters. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh my that is I think the worst line in the movie. I I think Evil Dies Tonight, just because it's... Repeat- the repetition of it is It's pretty awful. pretty awful. But after seeing a man jump and fall to his doom... By the way, the makeup effects of his dead body are pretty incredible. Hats off to the folks who did that. He, that is a ex-person. I'll like, take your word for it. I wasn't watching it. <laughs> I mean, his his noggin was split open and his one of his limbs was pointing the wrong way. Juicy. It is juicy. Nice. Um but yeah, the sheriff looking at the dead body in the street and going, "Oh, now he's turning us into monsters." <laughs> yeah, like, I think doesn't Judy God. doesn't Judy Greer dress uh, Michael Anthony Hall down just a little bit? And he's, like, "I made a mistake. I'm sorry. I didn't. Uh, I, I didn't realize or something." I, um, they. I. I wish I could remember verbatim what was said, but I had a I had a big old belly laugh at it because it was like blatant exposition. Where it's like, he's like, I'm sorry all that happened. I'm sorry I, I made that guy kill himself while you were trying to save his life, by the way. Judy Greer, saint, saint of all mothers. Um, But then she ends the conversation with what I want to say was maybe an 80-yard line of like, uh, he says, like, I have a car. And she's like, good, I need your car. It's like, it's like they do this, like, call and response thing where it's basically the entire conversation exists to provide an excuse uh, as to the logistics of how Judy Greer gets to where she needs to be in the next scene. Um, we had a real missed opportunity with the granddaughter and the boyfriend. Uh, I think they go to the Myers house or whatever. I don't with his dad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he, I think the, the dad ends up dying, but, uh, he gets a hold of the boyfriend and I do the way the dad dies. He, he tells them both to stay in the car. It's like one, you don't actually know if he's in that that currently occupied residence by the way it's under new ownership yeah you you are breaking and entering <laughs> like like you don't actually know if he's in there you're just assuming that he's in there yeah and two you're bringing a gun into the house mm-hmm. that's not safe no and then three you have two other people with you also armed children yeah but they're armed and they can help you well maybe just Keep an eye on your back at the very least. I I've seen that. And he says, "Stay in the car." It's like you. This is like slasher movie one hundred and one stuff, where it's like, dude, you survived forty years ago. Maybe be extra cautious today. I don't think that kid knows how to shoot a gun. He doesn't seem outdoorsy to me. 
He plays some Call of Duty. <laughs> He's seen a Transformers movie. <laughs> um, we had... He knows how to. He knows how to look like he knows how to shoot a gun. I but mean, once 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 the recoil kicks in, like he's going to be on his ass. I mean, probably. Steven <laughs> Steven Seagal doesn't even know how to hold a gun uh, as an actor. Yeah, but he's but he's enormous, yeah. so it doesn't matter. Have <laughs> you seen his trailers? That the barrel the the butt of that gun is on top of his shoulder. Like he actually doesn't know how to hold a gun. It's pretty incredible. <laughs> <laughs> and he's been doing it for decades. <laughs> decades. And yeah, uh, he'll he'll be dead soon probably. His heart cannot be in good shape. Um but yeah, we we get... uh, his his bone structure, if you've seen above the law, his bone structure is not meant to support that girth. No. His yeah, his knees are shot too. The the, the scaffolding does not support the superstructure. <laughs> he hasn't he hasn't breathed out of his nose in fucking 20 years. Uh so he uh so the boyfriend it takes forever. It took him a really long time to die, because uh, like Michael's like got his throat, and I think the girl like breaks her leg going down the stairs. She's like, "Come and get me," and he's just like, "Well, that's good enough for me. Uh, I'm gonna keep going. I'm just gonna leave this kid here." But he ends up like crushing his trachea or breaking his neck. It would have been perfect if he just kind of left him alive as he's going down the stairs, and then just like just like threw a knife into his neck as he was walking down the stairs. Yeah, well. Twenty million dollars, Blumhouse production, man. We already we already blew our wad with the eyeball gag. Like we we can't afford that shit, Kyle. We got to keep it simple, man. So like that whole sequence. So the dad goes in ahead of them, and he gets stuffed into like a cellar door. <laughs> he dies almost instantly. <laughs> yeah, he dies off screen. We we hear him scream, and then the kids run in after him, and uh, they I don't know. They patrol the house, the Myers house, after the Johns have been killed both of them um and uh yeah the boyfriend uh grapples with michael and he gets killed like five times like i thought he was dead so many times while they were grappling with each other and his head gets i mean i'd done this as a kid you, you get your head wedged in between the like the banister like the the pillars yeah and, and i thought i thought michael was gonna like curb stomp him or something that's what i thought head too. Is, his head is like hanging over the edge i was like ooh. This could be really grisly, or or even better, he could like grab him by the hair and pull him upward, and just like shatter his his spine at the base of his skull. That would work like, too. against the banister. That would have been tight. But again, we don't have money for that because we already had Big John's eyes come out, <laughs> um, and the lighting of this house is shit. Um, but yeah, the girlfriend runs up, uh, the granddaughter of Laurie Strode, and uh, she she knifes him in the gut, like twice. She's like, ja, ja, and, and he just, like, choke slams her down the stairs. Yeah. And, like, she rolls her ankle or some shit. But, yeah, he just shrugs off those gut wounds. I was like, damn. <laughs> Been working out in prison. <laughs> but, yeah, but yeah, the, the soundtrack started going nuts here. Um, and th- I probably should have said more about this, but it needs to be said. Uh, John Carpenter and his son uh, both scored the film, uh, just like uh, the 2018 film. So th- this is how we continue the franchise. Is John Carpenter doesn't want to have anything to do with making these films anymore. Uh, he's largely just a, a musician these days. He plays concerts and he has a great time playing music with his son. That's uh, fun. He's, he's a very he's a very talented musician. He's done some fantastic scores over the years. Uh, my problem with that though is when we get to this movie, I feel like maybe they they uh, made too many attempts to like placate him or something. Because, like, he's notoriously prickly when it comes to, like, business dealings because he's been fucked so many times. Mm. Um, so, 
like his, the score in this movie is oppressive at times not in, not in like the fun way in terms of like setting a tone it's like there's too much of it it's a very noisy film there's too much music and it's not bad music from a compositional standpoint it's just like can we like quiet down for a second and let let the drama let the suspense build a little bit because like the it's like the soundscape of the movie is just like blasting you with music all the time and like i said it's not bad music it's just there's too fucking much of it and when we get to this sequence it fe- like the tone of the music feels a little bit out of place it's a little much like it's it's almost like operatic but with a synth it, it's just a lot and then judy greer shows up and somehow i think she gets a hold of his mask and she uses it as a means to lure him out of the house oh, I blocked, and spare his granddaughter. I blocked that out of my memory. Why did you bring that back up? Oh my god, that's so stupid. Why the fuck would he care? Like, why would he care about his fucking mask? I don't know, Kyle. Uh, iconography, like franchise iconography, is is the answer. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, in that original film, he just absentmindedly grabbed a face covering. Yeah. Well, he was a clown for Halloween, so it made sense that he grabbed a clown mask when he did it. But yeah, when he grabs that, the the Shatner mask, it just grabs a mask. He just grabs a mask. Well, he had no emotional attachment to it. He just went into a store and grabbed a mask. I think it. I think Rob Zombie did it well in that in his uh, Halloween movie, where that was something he did as a kid. Like we, you get the broken home aspect, but that's the thing: is he doesn't he likes to wear masks, and it kind of develops. Well, if memory serves, uh, he also had it so that it was exactly the same mask, where uh, I think he is seen as a child wearing the Shatner mask, and it's like it's even oversized for a child, so he can grow into it as Tyler Maine later on in the film, and then there's that sequence where he goes up into the attic into his old house, and I think it's exactly the same mask he wore in the 60s. Yeah, because he was making his own masks to wear when he was a kid, and then the sisters, uh, dude, that... I. Still to this day, the casting for that, we have the hot daughter and then the ugliest fucking dude I've ever seen in my entire life as her boyfriend. Like, it's insane. Go back and just just, <laughs> just look at that matchup and you're like, that I don't understand this at all. But yeah, he I think the boyfriend bought the mask and then he puts on that mask when he kills his sister and his stepdad. Spoiler alert. Wasn't like the bully from that one, the kid from Oops. World's Best Dad? Uh, Yeah, the kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that is him that little shit from spy kids yeah oh that that's him yeah i didn't know that yeah i i only knew him more grown up i've never seen spy kids uh yeah yeah you're fine but yeah rob rob zombie halloween uh i i would check it out again it's been a minute i don't remember thinking it was amazing it's 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 a valid contribution to the franchise like it is its own thing to some extent. They make some weird choices towards the end of that one. Yeah. But the second one I've heard is fucking bonkers. I've I saw the first one in the theater. I I think I saw the second one. I couldn't tell you a single thing about that second one. I have no idea what happens in that movie. I I've I've read reviews for it and I know I know it's strange. Like they really take they take it for a fucking walk. <laughs> Such that I've actually avoided it. I've seen every other halloween movie just not that one the, the i i stand by rob zombie's 2007 halloween i think that's probably his best movie in all honesty uh, i can't counter that but i wouldn't be surprised if it, it's probably his most mainstream digestible film because yeah. some like house of a thousand corpses and, i and i really the devil's rejects are not gonna sit well with most people i don't like devil's rejects but i have a soft spot for house of a thousand corpses it's a lot of style that i like about that 
Oh yeah, it, it's amazing to look at. Yeah. for sure. It has it has a vibe. But, but uh, Devil's Rejects, I think, starts strong, but it it falls apart. But he really suffers badly. from David Ayerism, where uh, we just put fuck every two words, so it just it really weighs you down after a while hearing people talk in his movies. That's a really fun comparison, actually. Like like they they have different styles. Like it's not the same style, but they have tendencies that have a similar flavor to mm-hmm. them. I should look more into that. Yeah. <laughs> Where are they both from? Um, well, I know David Ayer did a stint in the Navy. Uh, I forget where he's from, though. Probably Massachusetts. Um, <laughs> um, but he seems to have a, a fetish for like L.A. gang culture, though. Ayer, that is. He's from. Oh, he's um, from. Sh- he's from Champaign, Illinois. Oh, wow! And he was in the Navy. Oh yeah, I, I know that. Like I, I remember <laughs> looking that up. <laughs> fucking end of watch dude jesus christ yeah i didn't get around to watching it but uh i had heard it was good but you told me otherwise <laughs> you you might like it because of the movies that you watch but i hey 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 it. hey let's not t- say things we can't take back <laughs> i wasn't i wasn't i wasn't trying to be mean i'm just saying you could you could enjoy it more than i could is what i'm getting at well is f scott adkins in it <laughs> uh, maybe <laughs> Does it have Dolph Lundgren in it? <laughs> no, but it's got David Harbour and one of the funniest things I've seen him do in my entire life. Uh, Sold. Yeah. I will watch this film. <laughs> the, yeah, there's a scene with an eyeball, and I was I had to pause. I was laughing so hard. Uh, it's, Sold. Yeah. See, Kyle, you know how to push my buttons. Yeah. The, the worse you make it sound, the better I, the better it is for me. It's so funny, <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, where were we? Judy Greer. Uh, yeah, so mask. Judy Greer... Uh, who is the daughter of uh, Jamie Lee Curtis in this franchise. Um, at the end of that 2018 film, the three generations united to stop Michael Myers. And it's awesome. They, locked, they set a tray app, as Judy Greer would say. Uh, there's a certain pronunciation that you only get from Judy Greer mm-hmm. and people from that region of the country. <laughs> uh, it's so endearing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and for whatever reason, she's wearing a Christmas sweater on Halloween. That's that's a choice, hmm. uh, appropriate for Judy Greer, the you know saint of all mothers in cinema. But um, she wrote a book or something that's like Judy Greer plays moms or something because <laughs> like, she she's so she's so often typecast as mothers in films or something. Hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, the three generations of Strode women or whatever got together. Uh, by the way, the wizard, uh, uh, the granddaughters. Uh, Judy Greer's husband. Uh, he did eat shit at the end of the 2018 film, and they they actually do respect that in Halloween Kills. Like they do have the granddaughter not so happy about the fact that her dad got fucking stabbed to death uh, in front of her. Um, so they had thought they had stopped him, or at least Lori thought they had stopped him. Then they're told by the police, who, by the way, the sheriff's deputy looks like Ron Perlman and Michael Bean had a kid. I wasn't watching the movie. It is, I didn't catch it. It is it is distracting. Like I was like this he it's like they smashed Michael Bean into Ron Perlman. You got your bean in my Perlman. Hmm. Awesome. <laughs> I was like I was half of me was like, could we not have just like called Michael Bean? He would have been great. I guess I'll have to watch this movie again. Jeez. No, you no, you don't. <laughs> you absolutely don't. But um yeah, uh, Judy Greer shows up and somehow she gets hold of Michael's mask, his Shatner mask, and she like runs out into the street with it and he abandons killing her daughter and uh that that was like almost a tense moment 
but then we decide to walk away from it literally and he follows her he follows judy greer out into the street and then she takes him uh into a part of the neighborhood where uh anthony michael hall and a mob of people armed with uh all sorts of melee instruments and guns uh surround him yeah and this this is one of those images i i do not need no like like what i was saying about the park with like michael trying to kill five people at once this takes that and dials it up to 11 it's like i have no reason to be scared of this man anymore like he is well lit he's surrounded by people with tools of destruction waiting to bash his fucking brains in like and not only that he doesn't even have his mask on at this point no so we see the back of his fucking monkey butt hairdo it's a 70 year old <laughs> like man uh in yes. in a in a coveralls <laughs> He's a 70-year-old man with a monkey butt receding hairline. Oh, yeah, and one bad eye. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, and uh, I think two fingers on one hand? Possibly. Yeah, because Laurie blew off, like, three of his fingers in the 2018 film. So the man is down, like, three fingers, down an eye. He's 70. He's got a shitty hairline. My money's on the on the guy with the stolen bat. So uh, there were a few there were a few ways I saw this going. One when when he first pops around the corner, I'm like, okay, how is he getting out of this? There's no like it's done. You've got him. So are they going to end it here with him getting just annihilated by this mob? Like that's one way to go. Two is there snap to black. You could have him put on the mask, snap to credits. That's what I thought might happen too. I was prepared for that as well. I'm like, okay, maybe this is like a. a a deus ex machina like we're gonna get something to come in that's gonna screw everything up like he's gonna somehow get away um or three which ends up being what happens i'm like he's gonna get through this like he's gonna fucking get hit like two times and he's just gonna cape fear his way through these people and that's exactly what fucking happens and it's infuriating it's infuriating um, this is this is what I'm talking about about mystique and things like that. It's like there are certain things you can take liberties with. There are certain limits you can push. This is but you, you can't. This is awful. This is one of the worst decisions you could have possibly made, in my opinion. I mean, you there there is such a thing as suspension of disbelief, but it just doesn't work when when you have this many people. What's more, these people have guns and they do shoot him. It's like the, I'm sorry, the math just doesn't add up. This this is the end of the road for Michael Myers. If if you put him in this situation, what I'm getting at is you don't put him in this situation as a filmmaker because this is a bad idea. I, it doesn't look good. I'm kind of hoping my favorite podcast drops a surprise episode because from what I gather, they they haven't decided to do this movie and they might do it ne- early next year. I'm like I really want to get their take on this because I feel like a good portion of them would really be upset with this movie, or somehow they would be like, "This is actually a great movie." Uh, I could I'd see- actually be more. I'd be more curious to hear that because, like, I, you have to do some mental fucking gymnastics to make that happen. <laughs> well, the the way they reviewed two movies in the in the same franchise, uh, they knocked one and then loved another one. I'm like. Huh. I don't know how you guys made that jump, but okay. But yeah, I'd be curious to hear them talk about it. Uh, so would I, because like, I mean, you aren't even a super fan of how the Halloween franchise, and yet you you've been like vibrating in your seat, like with fucking ready for this shit. Yeah. yeah, you you've had a need to like hit that release valve and just get it out. Good, <laughs> good. Like Hereditary just like revitalized. It just like recharged my my interest in horror. I'm like this is great. And Green Room. That's another one that just like. I wouldn't say that's horror, but like, there's 
it just kind of opened up the the possibility for like really good horror movies and that this 2018 one was a lot of fun so yeah i'm like fucking supercharged because we're kind of at a deficit right now like there hasn't been a lot of good stuff recently that might actually be part of the problem with this movie is like i said the fact that there's a third one looming over this movie is going to color this conversation but i i think there's been a a dearth like there's been an absence of slasher movies in the past decade or so and now 20 halloween 2018 was very successful this movie from what i'm reading is very very successful right now um we have scream 5 recently posted a trailer uh horror moves and trends and i think we've we've reached a point where slasher movies are once again in vogue thanks to halloween 2018 and other related films smaller films that i'm not as aware of but point is in the horror landscape we've kind of strayed away from from this particular subgenre and i think the people that are are hungry for that sort of content movies like this there's a certain type of like slasher movie fan that this is exactly what they're looking for like the friday the 13th movies in particular are intended to be stupid they're intended to be disposable they they operate on a a 10 minute system where it's like tits or or gore yeah. every 10 minutes otherwise it's not a slasher movie <laughs> and there are certain horror quote horror fans that this movie halloween kills is a representation of what they're actually clamoring for so it's like you and i and, and probably a lot of people think this is just a dog shit movie um but the simple fact of the matter is it's like it could be that's just not made with us in mind it's not and 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 the big reason for that though the the reason why it feels like a betrayal to people like you and i is that the 2018 movie wasn't this no and we both liked it yeah like like we did a review for it you can look it up Uh, it's it's a solid movie i i thought it was quite entertaining and well executed this is just this feels like a huge step down it feels lazy as fuck um and on top of that the script is dog shit and the the representation of the character of michael myers feels false like it, it feels it feels like we're taking it in a direction that doesn't feel right but again it could just be because we haven't had a friday the 13th movie in a long time uh we're only just now getting another scream there have been people out there hungry for this and it just so happens that michael myers was the first one to step up to the plate so i guess they decided to treat him like just a generic slasher character as opposed to you know the one that carries the reputation that he generally does well i think i'm just disappointed uh if you think about kind of the way horror is now like hereditary mixed uh drama like really like really heavy family drama and turned it into horror and it's just fantastic uh but like the the classic slasher just isn't entertaining to me like it's just not it's just not super entertaining i like it when a director takes that kind of idea and turns it on its head like um the uh, strangers the strangers i would say is a slasher film and it exceeds all other slasher films like it is terrifying and it does it so well um but what he did with the 2018 movie was he didn't take he didn't take the slasher genre into a different direction he kind of kept it true to its form and he did a good job with it so that's why I'm kind of disappointed. It's like he wasn't changing. He wasn't t- doing a new take. He just polished what was already an existing, like, uh, already an existing genre, and he did it well. So when you get to this, it's like, well, I can't wait to see what he's going to do with the second one. This sounds like it's going to be even more fun. And it's, it's worse. <laughs> it's, it's so bad. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you, like, 100%. But what's more, I feel like one of the strengths of the 2018 film is that they really, they really took seriously the idea of taking the 1978 film and making a straight straight up sequel to it yeah. like we we know where the pieces we know where all the pieces lay what happens next and they they treat it as a honest like a very honest and true continuation of that same story this one <laughs> feel, feels like a mid like a middle era friday the 13th mm-hmm. sequel um, minus the tits yeah um i mean honestly <laughs> i i don't want to be that guy but i'm like honestly Tits would have helped this movie. <laughs> well, that that's the thing about the slasher genre is that I I actually think of myself as a fan of slasher films. Like I do derive enjoyment from them, but there's a caveat with that, and that's that I enjoy slasher movies from the slasher boom. Mm-hmm. I don't Very care much. much for the idea of watching a 2021 slasher movie. Uh, yeah, same here. I, yeah. yeah, I I don't care to see that particular subgenre in today's environment well i i like the movies from that era well the the problem with trying to do slasher now and what makes the strangers so good is that it's atmosphere and that's what made the slasher genre so interesting when it first started was like the atmosphere like you build the tension but with halloween that's difficult to do because we know what's going to happen we know how this villain operates strangers we've got two or three people running around the house we have no idea what's going to happen uh, and if you're not going to capture that atmosphere, you need to deliver in a different way, which they did in the 2018 version, which actually does have some good tension-building scenes. Yeah, and at the end of the day, like slasher movies are generally low-budget schlock that is best regarded in that environment, mm-hmm. like on, like via the Red Box or something. Like there's those hatchet movies. Oh yeah. The entire, I think there's four of them at this point that uh, they. They're clearly just love letters to movies from a different, from a bygone era. That they're not meant to to pack in theaters. They're they're not meant to be mainstream films streamed on fucking Peacock. Yeah. They're meant to they're meant to be consumed by enthusiasts of the genre, such that the casts of those movies are made up of like the Tony Todds and the Kane Hodders and and the her name escapes me, but the same gal from uh, the Rob Zombie Halloween and like Halloween Four and uh five yeah i gotta look up her uh, name it's driving me nuts point point is like there is a subgenre of horror movie in particular like like slasher movies low budget horror movies that that thrive on on just pure fan service like let's cast all the people you know and love from from eras past and just have them do kooky horror like slasher movie shit only problem is you have a movie like halloween kills that does a little bit of that in the form of like legacy casting and whatnot but has the sheen and the appearance of of being like a mainstream like Hollywood blockbuster film or something. It's like it's it's trying to be two things at once, and I think it's failing at both. <laughs> uh, Danielle Harris is who we're thinking of. Thank you. Yeah, I I, I couldn't remember, uh, but I'm glad you looked that up because we both cited her. I, I was thinking Eliza Dushku. I'm like, it's not Eliza Dushku. I'm like, oh, what's her fucking name? Yeah, <laughs> it's like uh, the girl with the lips. Yeah, <laughs> you know the the girl with the face <laughs> but um but yeah the conclusion of this film we kind of been talking around it but yeah we have that setup where michael myers is caught in the middle of the street uh, we have an avengers shot a 360 revolving shot of him being surrounded by people wielding bats and garden tools and guns and uh judy greer escapes because uh, she lured him into yet another tray app and uh 
the mob a- attacks him. Yeah. They beat the ever-loving shit out of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he puts on his mask, and the music revs the fuck up, quite literally revs up. Um, and yeah, they just have at it. They just like club him to the floor, to the street. And at one point, I think they even shoot him like two or three times. And he's like reaching for his knife, and Judy Greer stabs him. She stabs him like in the fucking spine or something, De- and then walks away. Depacitate him. You've got to remove his head from his body. Yeah, Halloween H two O. That that was. If you want a decisive ending to the character, you got to depacitate him. It's gonna be real hard like, for him to walk around without a fucking head. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, I mean, it doesn't get more decisive than removing his fucking brain from his body. But, um, yeah, Judy Greer, like, stabs him in the fucking spine with his own kitchen knife. And he gets beat to the ground. He gets shot, like, multiple times. And she walks <laughs> away. She goes back to the Myers house to, like, hang out with her daughter with the busted-ass leg. Kunth <laughs> had a better chance of surviving at the end of MacGruber than he does in this movie. <laughs> Killed him five times before he hit the ground. Jeez. Uh, but yeah, she's like hanging out with her granddaughter. And then we cut to Lori Strode in the hospital, who, by the way, she had a moment where she's like marching around the hospital. Like, and they're trying, they're like screaming at the top of their lungs, trying to tell the mob that, like, hey, that, that, that mental patient isn't Michael Myers. That's a different crazy guy. And she like knees a dude in the balls and like splits her, her, uh, her stitches because she got like stabbed in the gut at the end of the 2018 film. Mm. But she's back in her hospital bed with Will Patton, and the two of them have this this Jim fucking Gordon, like a Commissioner Gordon, talk back and forth about how Michael Myers is a watchful protector. <laughs> He's a dark knight. It's like literally the same tone and the same style of speech, like pontificating about how Michael Myers is this like otherworldly force of evil. At one point, Laurie Strode says, the more he kills, the more he transcends. So it's like, are we are we explicitly like treading into supernatural yes. territory? That, that, that's the only way to explain this ending. That's the only that's way it. to explain the ending. Because again, this man is in his seventies, <laughs> late sixties, early seventies, and he is now unstoppable. Like he literally just got beat down by a mob. So yeah, we. That's what I'm saying. Like we've literally just transcended into he is immortal. But it's like, have you learned nothing? Nothing. Like. Nothing. There, there was a, there was a stretch of this franchise had this thing called the Cult of Thorn. Oh Jesus! It's not well regarded. It's thought of as like the dark times, like before the Empire. See, <laughs> like, like, <laughs> again, this is again. Rob Zombie did it well. Like you get this. The guy who plays him is like six eight. Like I can't. Yeah. Yeah. He's fucking huge. It makes sense that you would have a guy that big. Who it's really hard to fucking take down. Like, even if you get a few stabs or, like, you get him shot in the shoulder, like, he's going to keep moving. This guy's, like, 5'10". Like, he's not even that big. And he's not, and he's old as fuck. So, yeah, you literally just crossed over to, he is immortal. Yeah, it, it's like, like I said, everybody talks like Loomis here. And the the crazy part is she says all this to Will Patton, and he, he agrees. He concurs. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. totally right. When The more he kills, the more he transcends humanity. Yes, that that makes sense. Absolutely. So On board with this. So here's here's how it's going to go next movie. Here, here's the theories I have. So, okay. one, uh, he had a bulletproof vest on or some kind of Kevlar vest. I mean, that if, you, if you're not going the uh, immortal route, then that's how you're okay. going to okay. – that's how you have to explain this because those injuries, yeah, he would be down. Um, or two – 
he is immortal and we have to find the book of the dead to fucking kill him or something oh my that would be so embarrassing how else do you keep this going well okay so so what happens here during their their jim gordon dark knight speechifying back and forth is we we cut cut back and forth between them and the hospital judy greer at the house and michael getting his ass kicked and then things that seem to be reshoots basically michael myers stands up and gets teleported to the dark dimension to kill people Mm -hmm. because like like it's clearly not shot on the same day it's clearly on a soundstage him murdering people in awkward close-up and slow motion uh he murders the whole crowd every 12 a dozen plus people i say 12 to 15 people adults 12 to 15 adults with weapons you know with weapons who have previously shot and maimed him badly yeah um and yeah he gets teleported to the dark dimension to murder literally all of them and then that includes anthony michael hall Mm -hmm. uh who gets like curb stomped on the ground it's it's not a fitting death for a character who occupied 60 percent of the screen time of this film Mm -hmm. uh and you know bombarded our eardrums with evil dies tonight for about 50 percent of that 40 years (laughs) evil dies tonight 40 years evil dies tonight (laughs) that's all i'm gonna remember yeah uh i'm gonna hear that in my fucking dreams um and then michael teleports upstairs yeah yeah so judy greer is on the on the porch with her granddaughter and then for whatever the fuck reason, she walks away from the paramedics and goes upstairs of the Michael Myers house. Oh, yeah. By the way, the, the Big and Little John are probably in the room still. Yeah. They're... Stinking up the place. They they have. It's been long enough. They have both shit themselves. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's not a that's not a fun room to be in right now, Judy Greer. But yeah, she stares out the same upstairs window that Michael, according to this film, has a fixation on, has a need to stand in front of from time to time. Um, and then Michael Myers teleports behind her and stabs her to death while her, while her mother is, concludes her Dark Knight speech. Uh, so our movie ends with Judy Greer being killed at the very last second. Yeah. Uh, so one thing about Judy Greer is that she is an actress. She has like a, a demeanor to her. Like she can, she can be a dick, like she can be kind of mean, but also she has like a very sweet like just a, like a, a very sweet way about her with her voice she's very calm so you could have spent a little time getting to know her better and really really liking her and then brutally killing her and it'd be heavy like it actually have some weight to it this it's literally the last 10 seconds just like oh we're gonna kill her real quick done i mean i hate to say it but this almost reeks of somebody wanting out of their contract i think i, I literally was thinking <laughs> of the the scene in uh, happy gilmore where the lady jumps on the car get me out of here <laughs> that's what i was thinking during that the 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 mista mista lady yeah i completely agree i think that she's like i'm not i'm not fucking doing a third movie it's just not happening i mean she probably read the script and was just like fuck this <laughs> yeah. i don't even get to say it's a trap this time <laughs> but yeah he teleports upstairs somehow he gets past all those paramedics and her daughter and all the cops. And yeah, he stabs Judy Greer to death at the very, 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 very end of the movie. And to, to counter your uh, paranormal theory, uh, or bulletproof vest theory, um, this is a franchise that does have a tendency to rewrite itself as it goes. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, th- you think? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if there was ever a franchise that did that, it's this one. 
I mean, case in point, Will Patton was dead. He was he was D E D dead. Yeah, D E D dead at the end of that 2018 film. Yeah, he is very much a part of this film. Uh, Doctor Loomis was killed at least twice uh, over the course of all those Halloween sequels. He came back for seconds and thirds. Oh, I think he's in the uh, fifth one. Oh yeah, and, you know, he's in the sixth one. Jesus. <laughs> he can barely move oh yeah no, i mean by the time i think they got to that one that was the one where he didn't even want to wear the face the the facial scar makeup because he got blowed up at the end of the second one yeah like, i'm donald fucking pleasance <laughs> i'm doing halloween six fuck you fuck and you, your yeah. face makeup <laughs> Jeez. i think that's the one that has the uh in loving memory of because I, I think he died uh, the, at the tail end of production he completed his role but i think it was in like post or something yeah uh, they passed away the curse of michael myers yeah i think that's six yeah but point is this is a franchise that have a, has a tendency to rewrite things and retcon things so if they need to call an audible and bring back judy greer they they can do oh, that. oh yeah they but, can um but I, I will say this much and this is a spoiler for anybody who might care uh all five of you um I think David Gordon Green went on record saying there will be an alternate ending on the Blu-ray for this film, which I will Fuck not you. be purchasing. Nope. nope. Um, and apparently the alternate ending is uh, there's a phone call made and Laurie Strode is made aware that Michael Myers is at his house and he hears her him breathing over the phone. I don't like that because I don't like the idea of Michael Myers using a fucking phone. Nope. Um, but I think either way, Judy Greer dies. Um but the other detail that I, I think has been somewhat publicized is that Halloween Ends is supposed to take place like four years later. So they're they're not going to continue the same Halloween night from 2018, which would make sense because that's a long fucking night. Well, yeah, <laughs> he, needs to, he needs to cauterize his wounds if he's not an immortal. I mean, I I don't know how you explain this. There really is no way. It's I'm sorry, this is why you don't do things like this with characters like this like jason Voorhees at some point basically became a zombie they're thereby making it like excusable that you can hit him with everything you got he's he's a fucking immortal zombie he'll power through it michael myers not so much especially if we're going by the logic of the 2018 film which took him more seriously than almost any other movie in the franchise like as a human being as a, as a force of evil for sure but still a guy um, but yeah, when you shoot a guy multiple times and you hit him with bats and you stab him in the spine, like, oh yeah, and by the way, he got stabbed in the gut twice by that granddaughter a few minutes earlier. Like, no, you you don't make it through that. Mm -mm. One one thing you could have done, like, if you really wanted to take the shit seriously and it wouldn't be consistent with the tone of the rest of the movie, you have you have you go by the Jack Jack Reacher logic, where you have a bunch of people with weapons and all it takes is for him to like tear one of their fucking heads off and the rest of them run away mm -hmm. and and make sure that there's no guns in the room because that takes all the drama out like as soon as a, a person has a gun it's like michael myers becomes a lot less threatening yeah but yeah all, all you do is you have them surround him and then one person gets brave makes a move he grabs their bat and just caves their fucking head in and then the other people see that don't want that and leave and then oh anthony michael hall is he's the only one that stayed and then he brandishes his bat, and he's like, oh, this is my moment. It's like, you want to get tough? You want to get tough? And then he gets his ass kicked. Mm -hmm. There, I just rewrote your ending. Way better. Yeah. <laughs> you want to get nuts? Come on. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, for fuck's sake, just verbatim. Just do that. Yeah. <laughs> and then have him have him swing, miss, and Michael kills him. And then he get he gets that couple seconds where he's like, I wasn't as tough or as strong as I thought I was. Yeah, I'm really uh, not looking forward to this third one. Uh, this was a real disappointment. Uh, I I will watch it. Oh yeah. Like I'm at the, I'm at that point where I will watch it. I have almost no enthusiasm for it. The only hope it has for it is that there there is potential for the fact that because this was greenlit as a trilogy before the second movie was even produced maybe they they only had enough script for one movie and they just pretended they had a script for this movie so the idea is maybe maybe they actually have a script for halloween ends uh very much unlike what they ended up having for this one <laughs> yeah who knows it's a long fucking shot but that's the hope is that is that they had uh, the way I, I thought of this movie was it was as I was watching I was like oh this is what it looks like when you produce a movie with table scraps mm. it's like they didn't actually have a script they just had a set runtime where it's like it has to be over 90 minutes uh, and it has to have some kills other than that just pad it out because that's what a lot of this movie feels like is just padding yeah and and waiting for the sequel <laughs> i i've got high hopes for antlers because they sat on it long enough they're like no, no 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 we want a theatrical release for this so that's coming out i've already got my tickets for next saturday hopefully that's uh, or this upcoming sat upcoming saturday hopefully it gets this bad taste out of my mouth yeah i, I hope that one works out for you because folks at home you're you're definitely not aware of this but kyle has been waiting for antlers mm -hmm. for two about two plus years it feels like two years now yeah yeah so that's a big one and i don't know what guillermo del toro's uh reputation is like his track record as a producer um i don't know anything about the director so that that might be something worth looking into but um, yeah, this is a big one for Kyle. Mm -hmm. uh, so I hope I hope that goes well for you. Maybe that'll give you a happy Halloween, unlike this one. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, this uh, this has been a dual review of uh, we kept we kept our end of the bargain. We actually followed through on our our four weeks of horror musicals. Didn't didn't quite stick the landing and give you a full review of the lure, but I thought it was a substantive discussion. Um, but we also gave you a full length. Uh, review of Halloween Kills from 2021, directed by David Gordon Green. Uh, and that being said, by the time this is posted, I think this will be the last one, uh, last episode for October. So uh, happy Halloween whenever you get around to listening to this. Yeah. Um, and yeah, in the meantime, if you'd like to catch up on any of our other uh, Catching Up on Cinema content, you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, you can also find us on the Instagram at Catching Up on Cinema, as well as the Twitter at Catching Cinema. Uh, and the podcast is available on pretty much every platform you can imagine, including Cephalopod. So fucking Google it. Google it. Uh, with, that, <laughs> with that being said, thank you so much for listening. Uh, maybe don't watch Halloween Kills on Halloween night. You will be thoroughly disappointed. Uh, and we will catch you next time.